For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Deep Meditations and Talk. Thank you for joining. I am Kimberly. Tonight, I am joined by Heron Stone, a very unique individual. And y'all, I love how this man bra- this man's brain works. The main project these days is Earthling, a debugged subset of Wild English, designed for clear thinking and accurate communication. It's English minor. You are muted. Now note, he says there's only five stupidity. Earthling is a strategy used by the students of Gendo. Gendo is a way of language. Literally, in Japanese, a way of language. Like Cheeto is the gentle way, and Akito is the energy way. Bushido is the warrior way. Gendo is the language way. Aaron's website is gendo.net. That's gendo.net. It's full of many exciting topics and is only the tip of the iceberg of the knowledge that this one-of-a-kind man brings to the table. Karen will stimulate your brain as well as provide an interesting perspective on the framework of daily life that we've just learned to take it for granted. Now, please make yourself comfortable. Feel free to join us in the chat room. I might share in with you and open up the phone line in a little while. The opinions are solely those of the participants and not necessarily those of these meditations and talks. Remember, the website is peacemeds.com. You are unmuted. Let's do this. <laughs> ah, well, here we are. We made it. Yes. How are you doing tonight? Well, like I said earlier, I'm going to have to comment on that uh, on that introduction. I'm always uncomfortable with introductions. And all I can say is I aspire to those things you mentioned, but I very seldom satisfy my own aspirations in those areas. So that's well, my disclaimer. Your, your aspirations, your aspirations will be high. Yeah, yeah. It's you okay know? that I don't meet my aspirations. I'm content with my discontent, but but I'm well aware of it. That's why they're called goals. Hmm. <laughs> If we were satisfied where we were, we would be asleep. You're not asleep. Well, yeah. You're well, you know, there's an interesting uh, conundrum in that that whole thing about being satisfied or not being satisfied. But actually, I feel both. I am quite satisfied with my dissatisfaction, and um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 not an uncomfortable place. I think a lot of people associate being unsatisfied as being an uncomfortable place, but I don't experience it that way at all. I enjoy it. What is your normal day like? Uh, well, I would say a normal day would be boring. <laughs> I try not to have normal what? days. What the hell is a normal day? Well, what is a typical day in the life of parents? 
Oh, I see. You mean, what do I do? Well, I work in a newspaper. What do you days. do? I work in a newspaper <laughs> three days a week. Okay, and I do what's called composition. Uh, basically, the editors mm. give me te- a bunch of text files and pictures and stuff, and I lay it out, you know, in software, you know, on a, uh, you know, I, I yeah. make it all look good and fit together and, you know, fix the photos up and all that stuff and put it together and send it off to the press. So many newspapers need a good editor. It's amazing how many headlines are just misspelled, incorrect, flat <laughs> out funny when you read them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm a yeah. Well, I don't have actually. Oh, I I don't write for the paper. Like I say, I'm just a composer. So. Uh, well, exactly. But you overlook things. You make sure. Oh yeah, and I see all that up. stuff. And language is my thing. So <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm always giving the editors a hard time because a lot of the stuff they say. I mean, I, I try to avoid reading it because it's usually such crap that that you know, just there's no point in reading it. But occasionally when I'm laying yeah. stuff out, I stumble onto some things and, and I have to point out to the editor, you know, that that, doesn't, that sentence actually doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, right. little, little things like that. Well, when did you first become, you know, you, we talked last night about your history and I'd like to go into, you know, who Heron is. But before that, where did you first discover your interest in language? How did this come about? Well, you know, it's interesting because that story has a couple different parts or answers, but I, I I didn't tell you last night about my very earliest memory, which is related to language. And I don't okay. really know how old I was, but I do know that uh, the doorknob was somewhere over my head, okay? Because I was standing okay. in a dark room, and I had my arm up. I remember my arm was, you know, over my head, and it was hanging on to the doorknob. And I was in a dark room, and I had the door open, and I was looking through the crack and into the this great big room, and it was all lit up, and there were a whole bunch of great big people in there, you know, <laughs> laughing and talking, and you know, and like I don't remember, I don't know how many, but I mean, it seemed like a room full of people making all these funny noises out of their mouths. Right. And I and I remember just sort of standing there and watching them and trying to figure out what it meant, what it was, what were they doing, you know, so I'm thinking I must have been right on the edge of learning language myself, you know, at the time, because the whole thing just seemed mysterious to me, but I remember it, it left this really strong impression, and I didn't remember that again until I was like in my 30s, and then all of a sudden that memory came back to me. And I, and I can see now that, you know, it's almost like that was my very earliest con- memory that I have, and it's almost like that that spark uh, has been, you know, my whole life has unfolded because, you know, right from that point, you know. I didn't know that until years later, <laughs> but uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting. So that's where it started. And you know, we did go into your history. You were adopted, mm-hmm. and so you and you grew up with parents that you loved, and you did get to meet your mom at an older age, right? Yeah. And um, let's see. 
see. Uh, just other things. Anything about your past before we get to your present that you want to discuss about what may Well, everything is in the past. I mean, up until about two minutes ago. That's a big area. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, the story of my first awakening when I was 21, that was a really uh, interesting one. That was a long time ago. That was 40-something years ago. Let's go into that. Okay, I'll tell you. I've told this story so many times that that now I'm not even sure how much of it is actually true anymore. (laughs) Actually, I know, you know, the thing is, I know there are some inaccuracies in this story now. In fact, I just figured that out last night. There's a sort of crucial one, but it's not, it's, it doesn't change the drama of the story, but it's just a, a factual thing that, that, that somehow I, you know, had imagined <laughs> into the story. Anyway, yeah. uh, I was 21. I lived in Manhattan Beach, California. And it was summertime, and it was 1967, and I was 21 years old. And uh, summertime in Manhattan Beach, California, is an awesome place to be when you're a 21 year old guy. You know, <laughs> especially in the 60s, right? Yeah, 1967. <laughs> that was when we were still free. Well, this was uh, this was well, yeah, this was before. Well, I was actually a hippie at this point. Well, I was no, I wasn't actually. This is about my becoming a hippie, actually. Okay. So, all right. Because I was actually really at that point in my life, I was really interested in nothing except sex. Um, Drugs, rock and roll, cars, and TV. And that was it. I mean, I had no, no, ish, no interest in anything except those things there. And uh, so here I was living in Manhattan Beach. I had an apartment a half a block from the beach. I could hear the water at night. It was a little tiny place, but it was great, you know. And, uh, and it was uh, middle of the afternoon, sunny, hot day, like a Saturday, and I, and I lived about two blocks. I mean, basically in the, in the city, everybody just sort of walked around, you know, because it was the, the whole business district was just like one or two blocks, and everything sort of radiated out from that. So it was stupid, and there was never any place to park because all these people come to the beach and took up all the parking places. So, so anyway, I walked down to the liquor store, which is right on the main corner where the pier was, you know. And it's a, you know, it's just a regular old liquor store. And as I was walking in, right before me, this girl walked in, in the tiniest bikini, I think I've ever seen, <laughs> and the most outrageous body, you know. And she that most outrageous what? Body. She was. She was okay. just. You know, I was like entranced. I mean, literally, kind of entranced by her. I just beauty my jaw just sort of dropped, and I sort of floated in the store behind her. You know, and she turned around, and looked at me, and I realized, you know, that I was just sort of staring in gaga hood at her. So I quickly turned away, and I, it turned out I was standing right next to a book rack, and so I grabbed this book off the off the. It was a used book rack. People bought in used books and they'd buy them at the store and resell them and i just grabbed this book and and basically followed her around the store holding this book in front of my face but really just looking over it so i could see her you know and really i honestly was sort of entranced it was a weird sound when i look back on it now you know it was it's sort of like a cartoon almost you know anyway the next thing i knew 
uh, some guy is saying, you want anything else besides the book or something like that. And it, I was up at the cash no. register. There was a line. I was standing in line at the cash register with this book in my hand. And I went there to buy cigarettes because I smoked at that time. And uh, anyway, so, oh, yeah, give me a pack of Luckies. And he gave me cigarettes, and, and I there was the book. So I bought it. It was like 10 cents or something, you know. And I put it yeah. in the bag with my cigarettes, and, and she left the store. She got out before me and disappeared, and that was the end of her. And so I uh, walked home and threw the book. Not, I'm surprised I didn't throw it in the trash can, but I did, and I threw it in the yeah. corner. You know, because I had no intention of reading it. I didn't even know what the hell it was, <laughs> you know. And I'd never read a book in my life. I watched TV. Why the hell would anybody read a book, you know? I mean, come on. So anyway, uh, the book sat in the corner for some time. I really don't know whether it was there a week or a month, you know. I mean, it was still summer, so, you know, I, I, my sense is now it was a week or so. It just laid there. And I guess what happened is my TV must have broken or something, and I was desperate. And the book was still in the corner where I threw it. So I opened right. it up and started looking through it. And uh, and, I, and something struck me about it, and I kept reading. And and this is the part where, where the inaccuracy comes in. I actually don't know what happened at this point. But the story I tell, well, the story is irrelevant, actually. I don't even need to tell. The thing is, something happened when I was reading that. And I got an idea. Well, it wasn't a new idea. See, this is... What's interesting about this is I didn't actually learn anything new in this experience. But okay. but what I had already known intellectually, all of a sudden, I make a distinction between understanding something and actually getting it. Okay, I understood this okay. concept before. It's You've probably seen, well, yeah, you've studied psychology. These drawings that are, have uh, usually two different interpretations. It can be a beautiful young woman or an old hag. You know, or a bunny, right. and a, or, a, or a woman, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right. Okay. Well, that was the analogy that was being used, is that what there is is some lines on a piece of paper. Uh, old hag or young beautiful woman are just verbal descriptions. You know, they're not, what, what there is is just some lines, <laughs> you know, on paper. The other thing is right. the interpretation. And it's not like one is right and the other is wrong. They're just different interpretations of the same set of lines, and they both make sense. And that's and that's I understood that principle. You know, I mean, I'd I'd had some psychology courses by that time, and uh, and I'd seen those drawings, and I understood the idea. But this night or afternoon or whenever it was when I read this, I actually realized I got that it's not just some abstract principle. Everything I think I know. If it's couched in language, everything that I think about the world is just, you know, the way I think about the world. It's not the way it is. It's just the way. And what I realized is what everything I thought I knew was basically just the stories my parents and the television had t told me. You know, and the mass media and my friends and neighbors and everybody else. And up until that moment, I, had, I actually thought I knew what reality really was. <laughs> and and that, all right, now at this point, yeah. years later, do you think you really know what reality really is? Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, all right, we'll get but to that later. A, but that's a kind and, of joke and, answer, and, though. Reality is all right, and everybody. Every everybody's asking, what was the name of the book? Oh, I know, and and uh, it's totally irrelevant. I, I I will tell. It's funny because 
the, what's funny about it is that, like I say, I've never read a book in my life. I got, I got through, I don't know how I got through high school in a couple of years of college. I mean, I did read some things. I read what I had to, but I mean, the idea of going to the library and, and reading something because you thought it was interesting, that had never entered my mind. <laughs> you know? And, um, right. and so this is, and given that, the book that I picked off that, <laughs> you know, this, this title is certainly not a book I would have chosen. And the title is, um, The Supreme Identity. An essay on Oriental metaphysics and the Christian religion. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's not exactly. It would not have been high on my reading agenda. And yet, no, that not book, at I never recovered from that. That book, it was written by Alan Watts, and I subsequently read every book that he ever uh, wrote, and listened to every lecture and that he ever gave. Uh, but that, I never recovered from that. I mean, I seriously got that I, up until that moment, had been living in this kind of trance. And that at that point, I could begin to start asking some interesting questions. So describe this trance. This is the, what the, um, I'm sorry, the word is just escaping me right now. It's the book, um, The Four Agreements, and and it's what they call the Mioto, the, the Matrix, the Illusion. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot it's of different words for it. Most people call it reality. <laughs> that's, the, right. that's the problem. Well, you know, that's what they're thought to believe is real. Yeah, well, that was what I was talking But that's what I think is changing. See, that's why I'm so excited and so optimistic about the future, is I think uh, that the species is actually waking up from the age-old trance of language. It's part of the evolution of this planet. Well, I think after we talked last night, I understand where you're getting at, and we'll get to that later, but I understand. And, And I think you have a very important piece to the puzzle. Well, why don't we just jump right into it? Why we we got we do we have to follow uh, the plan? Well, we no, do. It's your show. Don't. You're right. Never mind. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. But you know, there's different ways to bring about this false illusion or bring down this false illusion, right? You know, uh, one, it's got a power source. You know, and two, it's got parameters. You know, and some of the parameters that we agree upon and we just accept as real. That are completely made up. They're illusions. Are yeah, yeah, the ca- yeah. yeah, the calendar, uh, time. Yeah. Oh, have you seen you know, my? Ca- um, did you see the lunar calendar on my site? Uh, yes. Yeah, oh my God. Okay. And, <laughs> and then language. Yeah. Language is yeah. A, a, something that we agree on as a group to say this word is what we use to describe this. Yeah. It sets our limitations. It sets our goals. It sets who we are. Absolutely. It also yeah. keep, it also keeps us divided. Well, it does some good things because too. It's not all bad, but there's certainly some dangers that we need to be aware of and to begin to eliminate them. I mean, I don't. Okay. I, I think language is absolutely. I mean, it, it's the greatest thing that ever happened, and uh, it's so powerful that that we can't afford to be unconscious anymore because. Uh, language is too powerful to to allow a bunch of unconscious language monkeys uh, have it. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's too damn dangerous. But if we that learn how to use it well, it's it's awesome. It's given us everything. It's given us what we're doing right now. Exactly. What are some of the ways you suggest that it change language? Well, you know, it, the specifics of changing the language. I mean, like the five stupidity stuff and all that. Aren't are there me, just are there just five? No, Come no, on. there's probably thousands, but five probably okay, thank a, a, you. takes care of about eighty percent of it, though. Okay. The the rest are, you know, more specific, and, but these are so general and so obvious and so common that if you could, in fact, the, even one of these, the, the first one, the, the most important one, which I may talk about or may not, <laughs> we'll see what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> um, in itself, well, again, the important thing really isn't isn't so much knowing the five stupidities as actually. Uh, breaking the identification with the language machine and having an intention to wake up. Then the language just becomes the method by which you wake up. You know, if, uh, I'm not sure I'm saying that clearly. I'm still struggling to talk about this stuff. So sometimes well, the words we use are very sense. important. Oh, yeah. The words we use set our parameters. Well, especially since the, our listeners have their, their own ideas about what these words mean. Uh, you right. have to be very careful what you say, or people get easily angered if you use the wrong set of words, you know, regardless of what you might intend. You know. Like, you know, one of the interesting things is this whole New World Order thing. I mean, the whole idea of New World Order, to some people, is like Satan, you know, and to other people, it's it's the fulfillment of Earth's destiny, you know, and huh. and uh, it's just so you have to you know so you have to be careful how you about how you talk about stuff and actually avoid these these sort of inflammatory words and talk about the actual substance of what's going on. I mean, well, you know, one thing I've observed about New World Order, and you might be able to go into this a little bit more, just the concept that I'm fixing to bring up. New World Order, a lot of times is written NWO, okay, yeah. and people know exactly what that means. Yeah. NWO backwards is O-W-N. <laughs> Very good. I never noticed that. <laughs> okay. I, I don't. I try my best when I'm talking about it. Instead of saying New World Order, I say New World, New Order Threat. Which Say stands what, for oh, NOT. What was that you said? New what? New order threat. New order direct. Threat or treason. New order threat. Oh, and threat. those initials are okay. NOT. Yeah. Instead of OWN. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's just, it's little semantics like that that a lot of times we just skip over and we don't respond to. Well, you know, the thing I, the problem I have with the New World Order stuff is that they're assuming that a unified uh, planet can only be realized with some sort of dogmatic, powerful, central authority that's got its thumb on everybody. You know, basically the United States government writ large, you know, with a, yeah, a, a well, world police state. But that's not, 
George but, but, Orwell, 1984. Yeah, but, but that's only one possible way the world could be united. The world could be united in the same way that my body is composed of billions of cells, but they're all working together so that I, you and I can have a conversation. You know, yeah. all, the, all those cells that make up my body aren't diminished by the fact that I'm here having a conversation with you. <laughs> In a sense, I fulfill them. You know, and I sort of see the world that like that. The world is a living, conscious, and wasn't made conscious. That's a tricky word, but the world is a living system with its own developmental course, and we're embedded systems. We're part of them, of that thing, and it's moving to a new unity that never existed on this planet before, and we are the agents of that. There's this global network of information, of ideas, of thoughts that we're in right now. This is the matrix. <laughs> we're in the real matrix now. It's a little primitive still, but it's coming fast. Well, anyway, it's that's here. my theory. We're in it. Huh? We're in it. Yeah. We're in it. <laughs> we are in it. Now, how do we get out and get back to the ship? Any clue? I don't want to get, get, get out. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I want the phone, and I want to get out. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, well, okay. Uh, good luck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you are. See, I mean, we're in it. I, what I was talking about is the the, the, the Internet. I wasn't talking about the, the other one. You're right. There's another matrix that we're in, too. But, I mean, I mean the one we're in having this conversation on with... Uh, you know, people all over the place listening and all connected and their nervous systems all vibrating together uh, right now, this moment. And the people that will listen to this uh, as a podcast later on, um, right. that's the matrix I'm talking about. I mean, there are several matrices, you're right. And my sense well, is I'm... I don't want out of the matrix. The, the matrix is the point of the whole thing. It's the game. That's where the action is. It's not real, but so what? It's where the action is. Well, if it wasn't, it wouldn't be here, right? Yeah. I mean, what's the point of creating? Imagine if you're God, you don't really need a universe. I mean, what the hell is the point of creating a universe if you don't want to just sort of like be entertained? It's like going to the movies, you know. You want to have a good story, you know. Good guys, bad guys, lots of action. Get the shit scared out of you, you know, and get it all resolved at the end. That's cool. That's fun. You go into the movies and you forget who you are and have this great adventure. And that's sort of how I feel, feel that, well, I call him Bob, not God, because God's sort of a boring old word. But Bob, I, I, I think that's what the universe <laughs> yeah, is. Do you subscribe to the Church of Bob? Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm the well, I am the Pope of the first heretical crutch of Bob. It's not a church. Uh, Wait, you're the what? I'm the Pope. I'm, I have a I have a Pope name though. It's Pope Nerdo Hessen. Oh my God! <laughs> I love the Church of Bob. Oh, uh, that church is so of, awesome. No, it's not a church. It's a crutch. You got to say it right. It's the first heretical crutch okay. of Bob. It's not a church. <laughs> And what I want to do is meet other people who are popes in their own. See, I don't let anybody else in my religion. It's just for me. I'm the pope. I don't need okay. those stinking followers. But I would really Our love donation. to hang around with other popes, you know. And I hear, you know, I hear there's a pope somewhere over in Italy. And uh, I was thinking it would be really cool to have, like, a conference of all the popes and get together and have some pizza and beer, you know. 
I, I think I'm going to write him and invite him because he's the only other pope I've ever heard of. You could be a popette in your religion. A popette? Well, sure. I don't think so. I don't think I'm a popette. I think... God, I don't know what or I am. You don't have to start your own religion anyway. You don't need to be a anything. Never mind. I just am what I am, and it is what it is. You're right. You, you know? It. Well, I like to play these you know? games. You know, it, it uh, entertains. You know, um, I, I once heard that beings higher than us in evolution, um, they call God the isness. I'm sorry, say it again. I, I got distracted for a minute. Say it again. I, I've, I've heard that beings that are more evolved than us mm -hmm. call God the isness. I-S is. Well, that's what you is, the Old yeah. Testament says, it, 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 I am it what I is. am. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is no word for it. That's the whole point, is that language just doesn't go there. There's no point in trying to name it. The names are ridiculous. <laughs> you know, language just simply doesn't go there. You can be God, but you certainly can't talk about it or put a, le a word on it. I'm trying to decipher that. Go into that a little bit more. Well, what words are for drawing distinctions? Words, again, are this illusory world that we create, these, these funny little, uh, you know, expressionistic mappings of our experience. And, um, you know, it's all an illusion. It's a hallucination. It is that, and words do the mapping. Well, that, it's, it's a huge part of it, and, and it, it's and it's and I don't I don't think there is necessarily has to be a way out. The thing is to be responsible for your own programming. I mean, I'm still unconscious probably ninety percent of the time. You know, I used to be nine, you know, unconscious probably ninety nine percent of the time or ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Now I'd say probably I'm unconscious 90% of the time, but I've been using that 10% of the time when I'm actually conscious to reprogram my language machine so that it doesn't get me in such trouble anymore. So I, when I'm on automatic, uh, it, it works okay. It gets me through most of the sort of boring things that I have to do to, to survive without getting too upset, you know, and without upsetting the other ones, you know. I'm sorry, what? Let's go into some of this reprogramming of your language. Yeah. Just the punctuation. Well, that's written language. I mean, that's a whole separate, that's a different area. What I'm interested in primarily, I mean, I'm interested in that too. That's important. But what's far more important is the internal monologue that goes on inside people's heads. That's the language that needs to be reprogrammed. Well, that's self-language. Self yeah. Well, it's that self-talk. It's that... Well, essentially, that's the problem, is that people are identified with that voice in their head. They think that's who they are, and they are, therefore they believe whatever they hear it say. I'd say probably 98% of, well, at least 98% of South Californians, I can't really talk about people around the world, but surely 90, 98% of South Californians um, are literally walking around in a linguistically induced hypnotic trance. They actually... Believe, you know, it's just like a guy in a hypnotic trance who does whatever the voice tells him to do. That's that's how people live. 
They get up and go to work. They come home and watch TV. They have conversations. They go to the movies. They do all this stuff, and they're a bunch of robots. Not that they don't suffer. I mean, as, just because they're robots doesn't mean they don't hurt. They do. They suffer a great deal. But all of their suffering is generated completely robotically. Do you think the voice inside their head is their own? Do you think that they are the operator of their own mind? Well, they have the potential part, of becoming the robot. that. They have the possibility of doing that. Right now, uh, they are uh, basically prisoners of their language machine. They've been hijacked. But that's the way humans have lived for thousands of years. I mean, like I say, that's why I'm so encouraged. I think that this is a sort of natural thing for our species to have gone through. I mean, this goes back 50, at least 50,000 years. Um, and, and maybe a lot further. Nobody really knows much about the origins of language. It's a great mystery. I mean, all the linguists of the world have been ranting about it for years, and there's not one bit of uh, agreement about anything, about where language got started and how it got, you know. It's just nothing. Nobody knows. Great mystery. But somewhere, at least 50,000 years ago, this thing, this voice in our head arose, and it's been running the show ever since. <laughs> but a few individuals throughout history have woken up from that trance, and then they, other people started religions around them. But um, I think now, you, you, you just got to look around, there are people all over the planet waking, waking up. I mean, they may not... The thing is, we don't have a, a common way to talk about this yet. So if you wake up and, and you've been brought up to believe in Christianity, then you may interpret it with that myth, you know, or... Uh, or if you're in an Islamic world and you wake up, then you may... You know. But ultimately, it's really about waking up even from all of those things. That the first... The, it seems to me, at least in my case, there have been several awakenings. The first one when I was 21, and another one when I was like, I don't know, 30-something, early 30s. And there have been a couple more, but they're not as clearly defined. I mean, I usually see those when I look back and I say, oh, yeah, I see. Over some, something happened during the last year. I'm not the same person I used to be. That first one was like earth-shaking and happened within 10 seconds. And so I clearly remember that. But the other ones, I don't have a clear recollection. It's just a subtle shift. Well, no, it's, it's not subtle, it's subtle at all. No. It's, it's, it shifts. Well, that's one way to talk about it. I don't, you know, I'm still, I prefer not to label things unless I'm really confident that the label is exactly what I mean. Because it's, it's, it's just better to, it's better to not say anything than to say something that might be misleading or have unconscious assumptions that are wrong attached to it. So I'm real, as part of my language machine reprogramming is I'm very hesitant to... Um, to level, yeah, to deal with these sort of high-level abstractions. Boy, this sounds <laughs> like Weasley professor talk. <laughs> I want you to give some examples of how you speak to yourself. Oh, I most of the time. Well, how do I speak to myself? You know, actually, I don't know, because most of the time I'm unconscious and not paying any attention to it. <laughs> See, but the way I work is, like I say, I've reprogrammed my language machine. I've been working on, like, eliminating the five stupidities. Not that I have achieved that, 
But what I have achieved is an acute awareness of the five stupidities, even though my language machine continues to generate them. A lot of times they don't get me into trouble. It, it, but the cue for me is, see, if, if I, most of the time I feel pretty good. You know, I'm, I got no complaints about much of anything. I, I, you know, life's pretty good. But once in a while, you know, I find myself angry or fearful or whatever in some sort of state of mind that I don't like. And it depends on how aware you are of, of the beginnings of these kinds of states of mind, you know. Uh, earlier in my life, I'd have to get really, really miserable before I'd, you know, figure out that I ought to do something about it. Now I can catch this stuff coming really early. So the point is that most of the day I'm unconscious, my language machine is dealing with what it's got to deal with, and I can sort of drift around in the universe somewhere or other, I don't know. But if I notice in my body, you know, if all of a sudden I get this weird feeling, then I know immediately what I have to do is start paying very careful attention to my language machine and start listening to what's going on there. And inevitably, what I find is that it's gotten caught up in some story about something or other and that I'd gotten sucked into it. And at that moment, it it goes away. You know, I realize, oh, okay, I just lost it for a moment there. And that ends yeah. that, and then I can get back to going on with what I was, whatever it was I was doing. I can't, and I don't, I don't mean to imply that I always do that. I still lose it in traffic. <laughs> you know, there are so many stupid, unconscious drivers in the world slowing me down. <laughs> you know, that, I, I mean, you've got to get somewhere. Uh, well. Uh, see, now, uh, on top of controlling language, you need to learn how to control the little t time. Oh, I'm very good at time management. I used to do seminar. I used to train people on time management. And what would you train them? What would you tell them? Uh, well, we'd start with their goals. Most people have no idea what's important to them, actually. So I would have people actually sit down. In fact, most in a two-day seminar, uh, almost the entire first day is spent... Uh, going through all sorts of processes to figure out what your goals actually are. What is it you actually want to achieve in your life for the next six months or the next week or the next two years or 30 years, you know, and actually getting some clarity on that. Most people, you know, just get up in the morning and whatever presents itself to them, they deal with it. And then what they go to bed, you know, watch a little TV, then go to bed and then get up the next morning and do whatever the hell shows up, which is fine. I did that for a long time. It's not a bad thing. But at some point, I start getting interested in doing something. And uh, so at that point, time management gets to be real important. Now, let me ask you this. Have you heard of Greg Braden? What's that again? Greg Braden? No, I haven't. Well, he's, he's a wonderful lecturer. And he says that the space and time that we're going through right now, our Earth, our planet, that the nature of time itself is shifting and what used to be a 24-hour day mm. is really a 16-hour day that everything has sped up yeah. as we move closer to this yeah, 2012 day okay um when you manage time do you find that you can create a bubble of space where you can preserve your time 
Yeah, I think it's related to the shooting. Oh, well, everything is my time. That's exactly the point. There is, uh, that's the only thing I have is time, and how I use it is all I have. That's all any of us have is our time and what we do with our time. That is our life. So, um, And that is our greatest gift to others, right? Well, I try not to waste other people's time, and I, and I get pissed off if other people waste my time. And I don't allow it, though. See, that's why I became a hermit, is I realized that most people really were a waste of time. And I had things I wanted to do. So uh, I, I just cut everybody out of my life unless they actually made a real contribution to my life. So consequently, there was nobody in my life for a long time. But that's okay. <laughs> You know, there was nobody. But you got a lot done, right? I, I got a lot done. I got a lot of clarity about the way my mind works and the way the world goes, and uh, it was absolutely exactly what I needed. Being alone, for some people, I mean, well, it depends on your path. There are many different paths, but for me, uh, being uh, spending a lot of time by myself was absolutely essential. And it's not for everybody, but for those people that it is for, it is essential. And I've met other people who said, yeah, same thing. Well, we've had a lot of people in the chat room, when, as soon as you mentioned time management, jump up and go, oh, yeah, pick me. <laughs> Are there any other tips you can give on time management? Well, it's all about what you want, what's really important to you. And getting really clear on it, and writing it down. I would say write down your goals and don't bullshit yourself. Don't say, oh, I want to be happy. Bullshit. Right? What do you want to do? It's not about what you want to be. It's about what do you want to do. I have a little list that sits beside my computer because I, you know, multitask, that new word in the Webster Dictionary, yeah. you know, I think I polytask. Yeah. Multi just would slow down, slow me down. Okay. And so I have a, a list beside my computer. It's taped on my computer. And it's you, a have to have, you have to have something like... Anyway, it's really weird to say that, but I mean, I would say if you don't have your goals written, you don't have any goals. And so when I have a bunch of things to do, I, I don't have to stop and think, okay, which one should be done first. No. I stop and I look at my list. And you know. And I say, okay. And yeah. that way I can... And, and, you know, and some of them don't even fall on my list, and some of them get immediate priorities. And you can change the list if you feel like right. it, too. <laughs> you know? But at least I have a guide, and so when I'm I'm hit with things at once that are telling me, we need you now, Yeah. we need your now moment, we need you present and full attention, I know I can only truly give possibly two at a time. Yeah. And I have to pick which two are the most important in this now moment. Yep. Well, that's the whole point. You know, and some of them may not get done, and, and I refuse to hold any guilt about what I can't do, and I thank myself and I appreciate myself for what I can do yeah. and what I'm able to do instead of looking at, wow, you know, today I only got four out of the 16 things I needed to get done today. <laughs> and I just said, well. Yeah, but compare I, I yourself well, to 98% of the people who don't even know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> They woke you up, only got they four ate. or sixteen done. Oh, so terrible. Oh, you know they woke up, they ate, not well. They went to work for somebody that they probably don't want to work for. Yeah, doing They're something they probably don't like doing. Right, that's not doing anything to nurture them and their spirit and who they are, or us and our planet. You know, 
And so they go to work for this dollar that's illusionary as well. And well, to give listen, uh, you know, half listen, of it listen, listen, back listen. to a government that controls choice. us. <laughs> you know? I don't concern and, and then they go home yeah. and eat dinner and plop themselves in front of the TV for their nightly programming. And they go to bed and they wake up and they do it again tomorrow. I could not imagine that life. Listen, I just don't concern myself with people like that anymore. I, I've, you know, anyone you know? who wants to wake up can wake up. Uh, you know, and if people actually can put up with that and it satisfies them, then they have very small souls, I guess. Well, see, I actually, no, that's not the way to even think about it. I, I tend to think about this as an evolutionary thing. And I really do think that the human species is actually not a species, but we're in a we're a sort of interim between the language monkeys and the earthlings or the transhumans or whatever you want to call them. And uh, most of the people that we see around us now, 80% of them, are really part of the old species, and that's not bad. You know, that's just that's where they are. Like I said, that's what is, and it. The, you know, it's not bad. It's just that's the past. That's not the future. And people are going to have to make a choice between the past and the future. And the choice is real clear to me. <laughs> you know. Well, Doctor Doctor Deagle has a quote. I saw one of his lectures, and it just stopped me cold. I mean, it just this quote just stopped me dead cold. And he says, "If you're still eating the typical American diet." Brushing your teeth with fluoride toothpaste and taking your vaccinations, you do not matter. You're going to be dead soon. <laughs> well, being dead soon doesn't... Listen, we're, I'm going to be dead soon. We're all going to be dead soon. I don't think that's really much of an <laughs> issue. You know, the issue is what are we going to do while we're here? It's our ideas that live on. It's the influence we have on other people and, and the thoughts and the things that we do with our time that count. Right. So, you know, screw it, I'm going to die. What, in, what impact have we made, right? Well, that's the way I, I mean, I know that not everybody thinks about it that way. That's the way I think, though. You know, like I said, the, the language monkeys don't think that way. They just want to go to work every day and come home and watch their favorite TV show, uh, you know, American whatever it is, and, uh, and then uh, go to sleep and get up, and then on the weekends they can watch TV. You know, and then they can go back and do it all again next week. And as long as they got enough money to go out and buy a great big 50-inch plasma TV and an SUV, then shit, doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> and, you know, for some it doesn't. Well, but it doesn't for, for a lot of, us, of people. I, I say that's okay, though. I don't think that's bad. Those are the languages. For those of us who, who, and those are who you call the transhumans, right? Oh, those are, those I'm sorry, who? No, what I was referring to is what I call the language monkeys, or, or the human Okay. Monkeys, you know, but then there are, there are, there's, well, you know, actually I need to put this in a, in a broader perspective, because this, talking about it this way doesn't really give the full picture of it. Uh, can I back up and, and give, put some? Yeah, go. So. Yeah. So it's, it's, okay. I mean, we want to know what's in your head. Okay, yeah. Want, well, first of all. Everybody is so intrigued. I'm watching the chat room. They're so intrigued. Oh. And one thing they have said are monkeys are smarter than all that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's giving them a bad name. No, I said language so, monkeys, though. No, the regular monkeys yeah. are doing fine. It's just the language monkeys that are all screwed up. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. th this gets back... This. This gets back to talking, looking at really long-term history. I don't think you can really understand what's going on 
right now, today, if you don't have a really long-term historical perspective, and I don't mean long-term like back to World War II, I mean long-term like at least 50,000 years, and maybe uh, maybe going back a million or two years. Uh, okay, now I'm, on your yeah. website, yeah. can I refer to your website? There's, what's it called? Uh, oh, the Cosmic it's under It's, it's under Gendo. And then you go to the cosmic year. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Thank you and, for uh, plugging that. That's a good yeah. little thing. Yeah. Wow. Y'all want to get blown away for a minute? Look at that. Well, look at it after this. Well, they can always kind of listen to this later, too. They don't have to listen now. Yeah, go look at that now. Ignore people this. can multitask. They can do it any way they want to do it. Right. You're right. You're right. It's a great <laughs> new world. Um, so anyway... I take a, a sort of long-term perspective. Actually, I take a really long-term perspective. I take about 13 to 16 billion years as my own personal history. And it's... For, okay, let's first of all talk about the term evolution. Actually, I think... Okay. I, actually, I'm not an evolutionist. I'm going to use the term because it's the only scientific theory around that sort of is in alignment with the way I think about it. But I'm certainly not a creationist either. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe any religion. In fact, I think religion is a form of mental illness. But I, I won't go. And not, not re- actually, not religion. It's not religion that's a form of mental illness. It's belief that's a mental illness. And in that sense, atheism is as dumb as Christianity or Islam, as far as I'm concerned. Because the truth is, we don't know what's going on here. And to pretend that we do is really sacrilegious, I think. I think the truth is, we live in a mystery, and we're, figure, we're trying to figure it out, and there are a lot of ideas floating around, but I don't know, personally, really, what's going on. But I do have some theories. Anyway, um, why did I get off on that rant? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> evolution. You said yeah. evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then yeah. you took a left turn, and that's okay. The road's yeah. back over yeah. here. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> the whole point is that... that um, so when I bring up evolution, I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to think that I'm actually buying and believing that that, is, that theory is the way it is. I think it's the best current accepted scientific hypothesis. I think there's a better one, though. Uh, anyway, but the current theory, well, I'm, I'm probably still the way they teach evolution in school. I remember the way I was taught, that was a long time ago, was that... Um, Evolution is this very slow process. It takes millions of years, you know, thousands and thousands of generations of little bit of change. You know, the elephant's nose gets a little bit longer and a little bit longer, and, you know, and millions of years later, now it's an elephant, and then that's how evolution works. But the fossil record doesn't support that at all. And, of course, the Christians have jumped all over it from the beginning. There are some, I mean, if that was true, you would expect to find all these intermediate a species between whatever elephants were before they were elephants and then when they became elephants, you'd expect to see a whole bunch of fossils that are sort of in between. But actually, an elephant is well, a, a scientist. Bad. A scientist once told me it doesn't matter what you're researching as far as the development on this planet, no matter how far back you can go scientifically, at some point you have to draw a dot on that line with an arrow and say, insert God here. We just don't have an explanation. Well, or you can just put a question mark there. You know, put Bob there. It doesn't have to be God. I would prefer to put Bob there. But, <laughs> you, understand, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, There's no yeah. Well, no, yeah, clearly science is no a limited... No logical scientific explanation for this job. 
Right. Science is a limited game, and there's nothing, you know, it does what it does, and it's really good. It's given us a lot of power. It's great. We're on the in the matrix talking to each other because of it. It's awesome. Uh, but it has its limitations. And the, anyway, the point is, is that uh, the, the, the fossil record does not support the, the theory of evolution as it was taught by Darwin uh, of this gradual change. You know, that somewhere in the 1960s, Stephen Gould and another guy whose name I can never remember wrote a, a scientific paper. Uh, these are two biologists and uh, in which they propose another theory, and it's called punctuated equilibrium. And this is now the standard theory of evolution. Uh, probably 90% of evolutionary biologists accept punctuated equilibrium as a better uh, description of the way evolution actually works. And so it's, what it is is, first of all, species don't evolve. Ecosystems evolve. It's, it's pointless to talk about one animal somewhere changing all by itself. It changes because it's connected to a web of life and because the changes are, are systemic and they affect the whole ecosystem. And so when change occurs, it, it can happen more or less in different places, but it always happens among a, a network and ecology of, of living organisms. And that's what's actually evolving. And, and what they discovered was that these systems, these ecosystems, stay stable for millions of years with a little bit of fluctuation, you know, little bumps here and there, little things change and go back and whatever. But basically, these systems stay stable for millions or tens or even hundreds of millions, well, not hundreds, but say tens of millions of years. And then, for some reason that nobody knows now, maybe later we'll will, but we don't know now, something happens. Some parameter gets pushed too far, whatever, and the whole ecosystem undergoes this massive shift. And this is when these species, uh, new species emerge, and they emerge quickly in like 10 or 100 generations, not millions of years, sometimes tens of years, sometimes thousands of years. So, well, and, and, if you heard my guest Saturday night, she was talking about in China, all of a sudden, children are being born with all their active strands of DNA. Yeah, well, that's, All the time. that's what I'm saying. Is that what's going on here is we are in, we are part of the Earth. We are not aliens. We didn't come into the Earth. We came out of the Earth. Okay, we are a natural uh, product of this planet. The same way a, an apple tree produces apples, Earth produces humans. We are we are part of this whole system. And Earth is undergoing one of these punctuations right now of punctuated equilibrium. Long periods of stability, a short period of radical transformation, and a new stability is established, which can last for millions of years. We are the interim era. This began about 50,000 years ago, 40,000 years ago, something like that. There were, other, there were earlier signs, but, but it really took off. And then it really took off about 10,000 years ago. And, and we're really close to the end. We are in the end times right now. The next 30 years are going to see the begin. Well, we, it's already, parts of it are already here. But this new stability, we have been in this transition period. And that transmission, transition period is, is ending right now. And we're seeing all this crazy shit going on. Uh, but on, at the end of this, maybe in our lifetimes, we're going to see, I think, really the, be, uh, the beginning of the establishment, the sort of clear understanding that we are into a new era, a whole new way of life, a new planet that's beyond war and stupidity and all the petty bullshit that we've been arguing about for the last couple thousand years. And that um, 
that's what's going on. But right now, most humans, like I say, are still, it's almost like when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. You know, that's a good analogy. You got a caterpillar, it's a good caterpillar, it's a healthy caterpillar, doing great, and then all of a sudden it starts to fall apart. Some cell somewhere starts doing some weird stuff. And the rest of the caterpillar cells probably don't like that cell because it's not doing caterpillar business, it's doing some weird shit. And then another cell gets a little weird, and pretty soon a whole bunch of cells start doing weird stuff, and eventually all the cells are doing uh, butterfly business, and not many of them are doing caterpillar business anymore. So right now, like I say, most humans are still doing caterpillar business. <laughs> but I th- expect that to change over the next 30 years. End of rant. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I've had a lot of guests also saying that the energy is changing to a female energy. Well, I think it's beyond that. It's beyond sex. I, I don't think that. I think that's all monkey business, male-female stuff. That's, that's, that's the old world. We're not even humans anymore. We're moving. What do you think's happening? Huh? What's, then what's happening if we're not humans anymore? I don't know. I mean, again, there's no language for this stuff. This has never happened before. We're, we're having to make this up. You know, there's no textbook to go and find out what this is. We've never seen it before. This is new, We're in new territory. I mean, all we've got is our analogies, you know. I mean, I can, I can answer that question, but it's just speculation. We don't know. It's up to us to make it. Oh, that's interesting. How do we want it? What kind of planet do, do you want to live on? I know what kind of planet. Quantum physics is showing that we are making our own reality well, of course, right we now as we speak. Yes. The fact that you and I are having this conversation is changing the structure of the matrix. The fact that these people are listening to it Absolutely. is adding to that's the right. energy of changing the structure of the matrix. Who knows who might listen to this conversation a year from now, five years from now, who's heard a couple of other things here and there. And just like when I read that book by Alan Watts, it was a coincidence. If I'd read that book, that line, uh, an hour later, it might I might have read right past it. <laughs> you know, and it might not have meant nothing. You know, it might not have woken me up. But well, it, you it do all a show. You do a, you do a podcast where you broadcast Alan Watts lectures. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard people say his name, Alan Watts, and, you know, I really didn't hear him until I dropped in on your podcast. Yeah. And if you want to give that a plug, what's the name of that and the number of that? Oh, I don't know what. The number is 47507, and the name is Only the Truly Religious Dare to Question Their Faith. <laughs> I don't and, say anything about Alan you know, Watts, but all I do in there, I mean, I never talk or anything. I just play Alan Watts lectures because Alan Watts was the guy who woke me up, and I, you know, who knows, maybe he'll wake somebody else up. You know, when I need some zen, you know, if I'm going throughout my busy day, I can go listen to just 10 minutes of the frequency that he's carrying. I don't even have to listen to his words. And it does something to internally reset me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I feel about it, too, is just listening to the quality of his voice. And yeah. But other people are put off by it. You know, so it's a very personal thing. I've had several people come in about his stupid British accent. <laughs> Well, it's not for everybody. Yeah, right. It's not. You know, it, that's why I just put it you up know, there. I, if it's for whoever wants to listen to it, you know. Um, you know, I do a lot of healing work, right? And one of the things about aromatherapy, I do something called raindrop therapy, which is very beautiful, right? And I blend six different oils on a person. I muscle test and I see what oils they need. 
a lot of times I'll do a blend on somebody that to me is just, oh God, I can't stand the way that these oils combine together. To me, it really is repulsive. Yeah. And that they're laying there going, God, that smells so beautiful. The thing is, we are attracted to what we need. When we can understand that and walk in that synchronicity and understand that things don't have to be defined scientifically, but go with our gut, go with our intuition. You know, today, jazz feels good to listen to, but yesterday it didn't. Today, I feel as though I need some calcium and I need to eat some broccoli. You know, today, this tastes very good to me. That's your body telling you, this is what I need. So if someone is attracted to Alan Watts, there's something there that they need and can benefit from. If they're not, it's not. Either either they're not ready for it or they're past it. One of the two. And it doesn't matter. It just means it's not for them. Now, see, I don't know anything about Alan Watts. I've been listening to some of his lectures, which he can make me laugh. He is so funny. You know, what he says about death is just hilarious and birth. <laughs> and uh, who is he? Where did he come from? When did he live? Uh, he was was born, he appreciated yeah. in his time? He, you know? he was born, I think, in 1905 in England. Came to the United States in the 20s or 30s, not sure. Became sort of a, a big deal in the ni- late 1960s as the sort of premier... Uh, Western guy to introduce Zen Buddhism and Hinduism and, and those philosophies to the West. He was one of the first guys, you know, before people had written books, but they were always scholarly books, and he was writing, trying to make sense out of this to ordinary people. And uh, so he became known primarily as a, a popularizer of Zen Buddhism in the West, and he died in 1967. And some people say he was an alcoholic. He did drink a lot. That is true, but uh, I don't think it's relevant. Uh, I think what counts is what he accomplished, and if he drank a lot, more power to him. You know, it didn't get in the well, way of his have, doing stuff. So, <laughs> can you imagine with the message he was carrying at the time he was carrying it, the resistance he must have met? Well, no, I think he was a pretty good guy. He, I think most people liked him. He was a clever guy. He didn't. He wasn't the kind of guy who engendered resistance. He knew how to how to work with the system. In fact, he, yeah, I don't think that was much of a problem for him. I think he led a good life. I think he, I think he was a pretty smart guy. And I, I and this, like I say, a lot of people who don't like him, or for, or maybe that's not even fair to say they don't like him. But it, it continued. I mean, there's some talk that that's why he died. He was only 58 when he died uh, in 1973. So if you... If you I, so, it, so it only took him 58 years to get his mission done. Yeah, well, like I say, uh, you know, we are all going to die, so what? You know, the issue is what did you do when you were alive? Right. You know, that's the only thing that really counts. So, I mean, maybe he did drink a lot and maybe that is why he had, had a heart attack uh you know, at 58, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I couldn't care less. He was the guy that woke me Bill, up, and that's good enough for me. Bill, Bill Hicks had an incredible message. You know, smoked like a freight train, right? Who's that? Died young. Bill Hicks, he's a comedian. Oh, I and, know. Yeah, I mean, Bill Hicks. Oh, I love Bill Hicks, yeah. Yeah, you know, but, you know, and he died young. Yeah, sure. You yeah. know, yeah, it's but not he, important he got his job done. Yeah, yeah being, I'm, 
you know, I never thought I'd live this long. Shit, I mean, this is all free time for me. I, I see, I spent a tour in Vietnam, and uh, I, I figured, fuck, I'm never even going to get out of there alive. So it's really been free time <laughs> ever since then. So what did you serve in the Army, Navy, Air uh, Force, uh, Marine? I had it really easy there. I mean, when I say I thought I was going to die, I mean, I did, but it wasn't because I was marching around out in the jungle with a gun. <laughs> I, I was in the Air Force. And I was, I, although I, you know, we did get mortared once in a while. Uh, and, I, you know, people could have been killed, but nobody was killed the year I was there. But uh, it certainly changed my you know, that was an important experience in my life, actually. I mean, I'm glad I was there in a sense. I mean, aside from the fact that I was part of the fascist machine, uh, I was too unconscious. Yeah. I was more concerned with me than I was about... I mean, if I'd had guts, I would have left the country and gone to Canada, but I didn't. So I took the easy way out and joined the Air Force. So the year in Vietnam was a good year in a lot of ways. It was scary at first, but, you get you know, it's amazing what you get used to. Well, you know, it's been confronting our fears that we find our strength. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good year yeah. for me. I mean, I learned a lot about myself that year. And uh, I, get, I figure, like they say, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. <laughs> that is one of the great truths, <laughs> um, supposedly. I hope so. We were talking about resistance earlier. About resistance? When, what is your advice? I mean, because you're just so wonderful. I just want to pick your brain and pick it and pick it and pick it. Um, when some you know, for our listeners, when they encounter resistance to their flow, you know, they're flowing, they're going, and all of a sudden they get in a traffic jam that uh. <laughs> is wasting their time. <laughs> what What is your advice for overcoming <laughs> resistance? Well, no, see, that, uh, you picked the wrong analogy because that's the one that still gets me all the time. But, you, you know, <laughs> well, maybe you if I get uncomfortable, well, the thing is really simple, though. If I get uncomfortable, if I get to the point where I'm, I mean, first of all, you have to be conscious enough to stand back and observe yourself being an idiot. That's tough for most people. Most people aren't prepared to go there. I mean, for me, it's like being able to see what a fool I am sitting in the car with my red face screaming obscenities to myself <laughs> you know, I mean it's really pretty silly you know it's not I mean it's not making my you know, anything change it's just this guy you know with his veins popping out in, in the car you know it's kind of stupid so but you know if I get to the point where I'm so uncomfortable that I actually become conscious of the fact of how uncomfortable I am that usually ends it it's, so it's really about just trying to pay pay attention and observe yourself, uh, you know, you know, they talk about the observer self. You know, it's cultivating the right. observer. And watching well, yourself. And, and then, you can, then you're, chew, you're free to, you know, to drop it if, if you don't like it or continue being an idiot if you want to. They, they've done scientific experiments where they shot the molecules out and they had a spatter pattern. And when they added an observer, and all the observer had to be was a camera. didn't even have to be a person. The splatter pattern of the electrons changed when they just added an observer. That, to me, is so... I can grasp it. I can see it. No, but you, you can't know, make can sense out of it. You, you can't make sense well, of it. You know, well, I, I, I can make sense of it. I just... 
it's in the action of doing that. It's in the action of grabbing yourself and observing that you can start to wrap your mind around this concept that you have to be the operator of your mind. Yeah. You have to sit in the observer seat. And to me, it starts with breaking the identification with the voice and really getting that the voice in your head is not who you are. It's a machine, literally. I mean, in every just like my computer is a machine, it's made out of all sorts of parts and things that are exchanging signals and going around, that uh, that voice in my head is being generated by a language machine. It's made out of hamburger, it's made out of brain tissue and stuff, but it's not, it's still a machine, just like uh, a computer is a machine, except it's way more complex and sophisticated than any computer that's ever existed. I mean, if you really think about it for a second, the talk that I'm doing, I mean, right now I'm blabbing on here, there clearly isn't time for me to consciously think about what the hell I'm going to say in every, you know, every word. I mean, the moment, I mean, even now, you can hear me at my language machine breaking up as I try to think. You can't talk and think at the same time. Your language machine is generated, I mean, just the, the, the business of controlling the tongue and the lips and the, and the vocal tract to get the words to come out in some sort of understandable way and knowing which words are coming so the tongue can get to their, you know, because depending upon how we say stuff, uh, the actual muscular movements change depending upon which word. So, I mean, it's, it's nothing like most people think about language. It's incredibly complex and not the kind of thing anybody can do consciously. It's all being assembled way down on a very unconscious level by our language machine and the way it's been programmed. And, but most people, they hear that voice going on in their head, and they think that's who they are. They think they said it. They have to believe everything they hear it say because they said it. But actually, they didn't say it. It's just their language machine, and most of the time it generates, in most people, really stupid shit. And so yeah. the beginning of it for me is to just begin to start observing the language machine and the kinds of shit it comes up with because once you start looking at it it's really appalling <laughs> i mean it's insane well i know uh, is this language machine connected you know like the hundredth monkey theory you know we're all connected to this universal consciousness right we're all uploading to it and we're all downloading from it as long as we're breathing we are connected to that universal consciousness is this voice in our head the voice of the universal consciousness? I don't think so, no. That we're it's, all it's, connected it's interfering. To? I would say it's interfering with the voice of, with the big I. Yeah. I would say it, it's it's actually getting in the way of the big voice coming through. Because it's like we're, right. we're, we're swallowed now, this up. This is not our spiritual voice. connection. I'm not talking about that. No, I'm talking about all of us humans are connected to a consciousness. Well, it's not just us humans. Everything is connected. Every tree, every dog, every flea, every dirt clod. We're all connected. We're all one. So humans are just, you know, one little subset of that game. But again, like I said, we're, I'm not a human. Neither are you. i got to call you on it. I'm connected to the dirt clod. Yes. i got to call you out on that. Okay. Because uh, I, mean, I just can't wrap my mind around it, so I can't move forward in conversation. Okay, all right, let me tell you Let me tell you a little bit about the first heretical crutch of Bob and the myth of Bob, okay? Okay. This, this only take two minutes, three minutes. To say. This is the theology of the first heretical crutch of Bob. All there is is Bob, period. That's it, Bob. There, there is no more. There's nothing outside of Bob. 
there is nothing that isn't Bob. Bob is all there is. And in order to entertain Bob, Bob decides to create a universe. Okay, because it's, I mean, really, what the hell else is there to do if you're Bob, you know? Why not create universes? And so now you got this universe, well, you got all this shit going on, you got, you know, all these things happening, all these planets, all these living beings and species and rivers and mountains. You want to know what's going on, right? I mean, what's the point of having it if you can't actually experience it? And since you're Bob, you can do anything you want. So Bob is, inhabits all of his creation from the inside. He is looking through your eyes. He is looking through the fleas eyes. He is feeling through the leaves of the tree. It's all Bob. And the dirt clods sitting on the ground when the sun baking it. That's Bob too. I mean it's different. Bob isn't I mean Bob I mean Bob being dirt is real different than Bob being a human or Bob being a sun or an earth or something, but it's all Bob. What? You know, I can understand humans are all one and humans are all connected. Uh-huh. And I once, once heard a remote viewer describe going back to the beginnings of the universe. And the way they described it, they said they saw God and God was lonely. So God went inside of himself and created a lot of energy and then bust open into millions and millions and millions of pieces creating all the planets. Because God was lonely. Yeah, that's sort of And that was what he saw. Yeah, that's what he saw as the Big Bang Theory. And well, so, you know, based on that, I guess I can take my belief one step further oh, okay. and say, okay, instead of all of us humans are connected, all of us humans are connected to everything that is. Everything that is. Everything. Every atom, every quark, every everything. It's all Bob. That's all. Listen, you, what good would Bob be if there was something that... I mean, the whole idea of having a god is that it's got to be everything. I mean, if you had a, a god and there was something else that wasn't god, then that god that you got isn't really everything that it could be. <laughs> you know, There couldn't possibly be anything outside of god, or your god sucks. Oh, wow. Now that's going to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's my that, theory. That could, could just destroy so many religious arguments. That I think so. Yes, yes. Good idea. <laughs> I mean that that is a point to ponder. That is not one just to go over quickly. I mean, if your God is not omnipresent, if your God is not everything that is, then your God is not real. Well, I didn't say he's not real. I just said he sucks. Well, it okay, sucks. Well, I mean, uh, using the word he. See, again, this I would never, I would never tell somebody that their God sucks. But well, you but know. you're not me. You're a nicer person than I am. See, I'm, I can. I'm basically. I don't care what people think about me anymore. So, you know, <laughs> you know, that's one of the one of the, one of the advantages with age is you can become a crotchety old man and say all sorts of shit, and people let you get away with it. If I was younger, <laughs> they'd probably punch me in the face. You know. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you've inspired a few people to want to punch you in the oh, face. Oh, I have, the years. indeed. Yes, uh, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I try not to. I mean, I used to go out of my way to piss people off, but now I know I still do. But I'm really not looking for it. Well, I, mean, I probably am, but but you know, I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> you want to try and inspire people to think, right? 
Yeah, but that usually pisses people off. People don't want to think. And I'm finding no, ways to do that. They do, and they wake up and they realize yeah. what, a, what a shit storm they're in. You know, it's just easier to go back to sleep and take Xanax and you know, try to pretend well, that you know, what honestly, is their life is not. I don't why most people don't just kill themselves. I mean, really. I, I, no. I just, it's hard for me to understand... Well, like what you were talking about before, you know, getting up and going to work at a job you don't like, coming home, watching a bunch of boring TV shows and living with someone you don't really like much anymore anyway, you know, and having a bunch of snarly kids that are probably assholes, <laughs> you know, and and just doing that year in and year out until you finally blow your brains out. That just is unimaginable to me. Well, are they not killing themselves with their diet and their lifestyle? Well, everything. It may not, well, it may not be exactly a bullet to the brain, but yeah. it's... Yeah, it would be much easier, though, to just take a gun and end it now rather than dragging it out for 30 years. But, again, I tend to have sort of radical ideas about this kind of shit. <laughs> I, I just, I would, I would, hey, ra- I would kill myself if that, I... That doesn't happen if, okay? Listen, if that was the way, if I thought that that was the choice I had, I had to either live like that or die, I think I'd... Well, who knows if I was really presented with that, I'd probably. Well, find no, 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 no. If you're if you're awake and you're sentient and you're thinking, you can't. No, you're right. Yeah, it's not go a choice into that. Anymore. You can't. Yeah. You know. No. You can't. But if no. you've never woken up, you don't know. If you anything. don't know the difference. Well, that's the thing. If you believe your own language machine, if you believe that you know what reality really is and that you're doing the best you can in reality, then you're stuck. That's the thing is that they actually, you know, they've got a theory. I mean, they've never worked it out, but they because they think in English, because they grew up in America or wherever they grew up, whether it was an Islamic nation or whatever, uh, they think they know what what's real and what's you know what they got to cope with and what reality. I mean, everybody knows what really hard reality really is, uh, whatever they think it is, and uh, and everyone around them acts like they know what's really going on here, and so you, nobody can really admit that they're confused and don't know what's going on because that would be a sign of weakness or something, you know. But it, the whole thing is a sham. It's a whole. It's, it's, it's a lie. All people are living this fiction that they actually know what's going on, you know, and keeping up the facade, going to work and pretending like they're happy. Well, maybe they are happy. I don't know, but I sure wouldn't make me happy. The lunar calendar. You brought that up earlier. The what? I'm going to post the link in the lunar calendar that's oh, yeah. on your website. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you brought that up earlier. Yeah. Okay. I was reading over that, and i got to tell you, a little bit over my head. Really? Yeah, for just a, yeah well, I, I only had time to glance at it. Well, I didn't yeah, have time to dive yeah, into yeah. it. Well, you ever you think know, about so, the, the calendar? I mean, um, you know, like the calendar that we use. It has a name. You know the name of the calendar we use? What? It's the Gregorian calendar. Oh, yeah, the Gregorian yeah. calendar. Yeah, because Pope Gregory... In 1583 or something like that, right around there, give or take a decade, probably, uh, instigated some. I mean, before that, they used the Julian calendar that was created by Emperor Julius Caesar, and uh, that calendar was pretty good, but it actually had some flaws in it. And Pope, by the by, 1580, 
uh, it had become clear that the calendar had drifted, and so Pope Gregory got a bunch of astronomers together, and they fixed the, the Julian calendar to what we've got now, which is the Gregorian calendar. And uh, But, I mean, do you ever think about, you know, why, is, why do we celebrate New Year's on January the 1st? I mean, why not, why not in the middle of summer or, you know, in November or something like that? Why... Why is January 1st on the day at, you know, at that time of the year? Why isn't January 1st in the summer or some other time? I don't know. It's yeah, time. Right. Celebrate yeah. it another time. Yeah. Nobody knows, you, usually. But if you, it's really easy to find out. There's a good reason for it. And, and one of the things is that every reasonable uh, culture in the history of this planet has used the winter solstice as the uh, beginning of the new year, the new cycle when the sun reaches its southernmost part in the sky, and uh, this is the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the year, and after December 21st, uh, the days start to get a little bit longer, and the sunlight comes back. That's the turnaround point, and that's every culture yeah. everywhere has always felt they've known that day, they mark that day, that's what Stonehenge is about, is so they could know when we reached the deepest, darkest part of the year and started a new cycle again. And that, 2,000 years ago, January the 1st, was on the winter solstice. But because the calendar... How did it, huh? how did it shift so Well, far? because the Julian calendar only has... Uh, it has a leap year every fourth year. I mean, just every fourth year. I mean, because the year is actually... 365.2533879 something whatever you know uh, days you know I mean there's a very See, and that, that makes no sense to me oh that, no oh, it's real know, simple that, no. either we have sun up to sun down or we don't well that's, you know that's, it's sun yeah. up sun down sun up yeah, yeah but, but the sun up sun down has nothing to do with the year it's not a it's not about the relationship between the earth's rotation it's about the relationship of the earth's axis to uh, to the sun, and the Earth can be rotating, but that's totally irrelevant for the year. It's not really a number of days; it's a number of seconds, really. It's when the axis of the sun is directly aligned, pointing directly at the center of the sun. That's when we have either that's when we have the solstices, the summer solstice on June 21st, and the. You want to get into this stuff, the technical stuff on this, because <laughs> I mean I can go on and on about this. I'm not sure it's. I mean, if you're interested, I'd be happy to talk about it, but I don't want to bore you with the details. I'm sorry, I just had a few people walk into my house. It's, it's quite a You know, um, that, but that that explains that. See, I was trying to wrap my mind around a year had to do with the sun up, sun down, but, oh, but yeah. it more has to do with the four seasons. Yeah, it okay, has to do with where we've got yeah, right now. Listen, the now Earth explain to me is, how this relates to your lunar calendar. Well, well, I'm just getting around to the so idea of natural. I'm getting around to the idea of the natural cycles. Okay, the problem is the, the Gregorian calendar has nothing to do with the natural cycles of the world. And, yeah, and the, see, now I did an interview with Maddie Weber Saturday with Mayan Magic, and she says you know the manipulated Gregorian calendar, so, you know, equivalent to the language machine. Okay, is here to keep us. Entrapped in the matrix to keep well, us off balance and out of touch. Well, that's the effect. I don't think it's. In, I don't think it was in, instigated for that consciously. I don't think it was 
I don't think much of what's happened on this planet has been done consciously. But that's certainly the effect it is. It keeps us in trance. I mean, people think there is, I mean, there's no such thing as weeks, for instance, in the universe. <laughs> you know, every, uh, the, okay, I, I said that the new year was always on the winter solstice, okay? Uh, and, and also, yeah. the, the moons were how people always counted time. For you know, for shorter times, but longer days, you know, four or five days, twenty days, you can count that. But if you're talking about something that was a little while ago, people used to count moons. They say it was say, well, about six moons ago, you know, and and that would that's a natural unit of time for this planet with this moon and this Earth because that's a the the moon. You have a new moon every twenty nine and a half days, essentially, and. That cycle goes on and on, and it's repeatable, and that's how, you know, I mean, it's the way the Indians, the American Indians, kind of died. It was five moons ago, <laughs> you know, many moons. Right. You know, well, every culture right. did that. I mean, it's, it's obvious. It's the most natural thing in the world. And, and that's where the word month comes from. But months no longer have anything to do with the moon. It's totally divorced from that. Months are just these abstract uh, Catholic idea, you know, or goes back to Julius Caesar. I mean, the names of, even the names of the month, Ju- uh, July, August, are for Julius and, and Augustus. They're named months yeah. after themselves, you know. So, anyway, anyway uh, my whole thing was to build a calendar that's actually in alignment with creation, not some stupid idea that the Catholic Church dreamed up. So okay. that's why I decided to go to the lunar calendar. And the lunar calendar started 293 moons ago. 292 moons ago, sorry. And because uh, <laughs> I just had to look at the calendar. I, I don't live as religiously by my calendars. I should, which was 24 years ago is when I invented this calendar. And, well, I didn't invent it. It was a lunar calendar. I mean, people have been using lunar calendars forever. But anyway, that's... But you, you put it in the paper and made it happen. Yeah, I made it happen for me, you know. I, I created it, and, uh, and and so that's, uh, you know, and like I say, we're currently, right now, actually today, or no, yesterday was the, the first day of the 292nd moon. Today uh, was the first day you could actually see the moon. Uh, and if you go out, you, you probably didn't. It's very, it's hard to see on the, today, which is the second day. But tomorrow night after sunset, if you go out and look in the west right after sunset, you'll see this tiny sliver of a moon, very low in the western, or in the yeah, in the western sky. Uh, and, and the moon, right. the moon has been you, gone. You, I'm sorry, what? Well, today is tonight the new moon. But tonight we have the longest lunar eclipse. I'm not sure ever, but... No, it was a solar eclipse today. It was a solar was eclipse. solar eclipse? Yeah. Okay, we couldn't see it here in the western No, it was in world. China and India. Okay, and it's supposed to be very powerful for opening up different energies. And, and, and Do you have any input on that? Well, we have um, solar eclipses twice a year. It's just, I mean, I don't know. It's fairly common. They're usually okay. not total. But, uh, you know, and the total one is just a tiny little path a few miles wide across the Earth. Essentially, it's the moon casting a shadow on the Earth. And if you happen to be in that spot where the moon is passing over, uh, then the sun's blocked out. You know, but you could be 100 miles north or south and and you wouldn't see anything. I'm going to go back to, you said... That New Year's used to be on the winter solstice, right? Yeah. All right, so 
was it like this for year after year after year and then suddenly started to shift? No, no, that's what I'm saying is back when uh, Julius Caesar reformed the calendar, he, okay. he, he had a formula. His astronomers came up with a formula. They said, okay, every fourth year you add one extra day. Because because the year isn't exactly 365 days; it's actually 365 and a quarter days. It's you know, it's if you look at the number of minutes in a day, the number of minutes in a year doesn't happen to line up with days. You know, it, it's independent of that. Okay, so, so what they did is, if you add an extra year, see, because the calendar had already drifted off in Roman times, they only had the. Uh, of 300, they didn't have leap years, so every couple of years, I mean, their calendar was drifting off away from where it was supposed to be, and they kept pushing it back. So, Pope, or not Pope, but uh, Julius Caesar wanted to fix that, and their solution was to add an extra day every fourth year. That's leap years that we know about, okay, in 29th of February. And that's what they did. But the thing is, that isn't actually quite good enough. It's close. <laughs> but but still, between when Julius Caesar reformed the calendar, which was like in 20, the year of year 20 or something like that, or I don't remember just when it was, but right around the, in the first century. Uh, by 1500, uh, you know, by in, in that many years, 1500 years, it had drifted off by 10 days. So now January 1st was being celebrated 10 days too late. Which is where it is now. <laughs> is it still shifting a little bit? No, no, because we because that's what Pope Gregory. Well, a little bit, but hardly at all. That's what Pope Gregory fixed because he realized that the calendar had shifted. Yeah. So they they took a look again and they had better instruments and they came up with a different formula. Now you add a leap year every fourth year unless unless it's uh, yeah. divisible by four hundred. <laughs> There's a whole. Oh. Thing. There's a whole bunch of, I don't remember the exact form, but there's a formula that they've got. And this formula is pretty good. Now it, like, loses a day every 10,000 years or something. You know, I mean, it's pretty good. And that's the, pretty accurate, and that's the well, pretty accurate for their standards. Pardon? All right, we do, we do have a caller. Are you ready for callers? Uh, I'm having fun talking with you. But, uh, you know, it's your <laughs> show. <laughs> well, I am having fun talking with you, too. Yeah. I'm not sure if I want to share you, but... Somebody said they want to talk about it. They've already given me a heads up what they want to talk about. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, what, okay. let me look and see. Where is this? I mean, is it in the chat room? Yeah. Who, I, okay, so what is it? Which one? Let me decide um, uh, if it, I want to talk about okay. it. Because if I don't, I don't want to talk about it. So who is All right. it? It's Truth Brigade. Oh, Truth Brigade. Okay. I'm going to talk about conscious. Oh, consciousness. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. We'll talk I about you would consciousness. Take this call. <laughs> Christy. Well, gee, thank you. <laughs> uh, wow. He's out of time now. That's. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I had a guest uh, screen my calls, I might uh, not have the guest. But no, I'm just teasing. I'm <laughs> no, you got to Good for you. Perspective on and I don't have an answer for this. So it's just kind of an open, you know, one of those conversations I have with myself. And um, so, I, well, I'd like first of all. I mean, everybody talks about consciousness. So why don't Let's, can you define what consciousness is? Oh, great question. Let me, um, let me give you an analogy. I'm going to answer it sort of a slow way, but I think I'll answer it t 
to your satisfaction, okay? Well, you know, this is only one layer of the question. That, well, that's right, but this, this may eliminate the other layers if you get this one. You may not need the other ones. Um, think, let's talk, instead of talking about consciousness, let's talk about electricity for a moment, okay? Uh, and go back to the, okay. year, the year 1800. And I can tell you there was no such thing as a technology of electricity in the year 1800. In 1800, uh, a guy named Mesmer was traveling around Europe giving electric shows, you know, making people's hair stand up and making sparks fly out of things and getting rich doing ooh-ah metaphysical stuff with electricity. And But nobody knew what the hell electricity was and couldn't make it do anything except, you know, make your hair stand up and, and maybe shock somebody. or You know, I mean, it was an interesting thing and there was some knowledge about it, but not much. Uh, although in 1800, Volta had created his first battery, but there were still no iPods, so his battery was useless. Um, anyway, and here we are now, talking on uh, talk show, 200 years later. And what I want to say is, what changed about electricity from the year 1800 to the year 2009? What changed was language. In the year 1800, they had no language to talk reasonably about electricity. There, in fact, the word didn't even exist then. I think it wasn't invented for another 50 years. There, there were a lot of, it was a lot of different words. There was animal magnetism and all sorts of things that different people called it. But what happened was scientists all over the world began looking very carefully at all this stuff and taking notes and talking to one another. And what they did is they invented a new language to talk about electricity. And it didn't go very fast. It was really, you know, the, like the first real products that started to show up were like in the early, late, well, 1850s and sort of like 50 years later, you know, telegraph began to show up and that kind of stuff. And there were things that really beginning to happen. By 1900, phones and electric lights and stuff were starting to show up. And now, you know, we've got artificial intelligence and... <laughs> And, and what's going on here. And what changed is we learned how to talk about electrical stuff uh, precisely and accurately. And it gave us power and knowledge in that domain. We still don't know what electricity is, because electricity really is just a word. That's what electricity is. It's a word. What's real is something that's magical that we can make do stuff uh, but putting a name on it doesn't tell us anything. What's important is, is understanding how it works and being able to get it to do what you want it to do. And so what I'm saying is that consciousness, trying to talk about consciousness in, in 2009 is like trying to talk about electricity in 1800. We are at the beginning of this. Actually, it's not like that. We've made a lot of progress in the last 50 years, and we're beginning to learn how, about consciousness. But uh, we got a long way to go, but it's going fast, and, I, and we are, I think... Oh, evolution, basically. Well, we're developing a technology of consciousness. Just like we developed mm -hmm. a technology of, um, of electricity, and, and now we can do what we do, we uh, are going to develop, a con well, we are developing a technology of consciousness uh, that will transform the species into a new, into earthlings. No now, does consciousness just happen, or is it an individual 
and their progress or growth or state. It depends on what you mean by consciousness. That's what I'm saying. You know, we can't. Well, that's why I'm asking you I know, to but, define, no, but, but I can't. I have but I can't no, but I'm telling you that what I'm saying is the question is unanswerable the way you're asking it. I mean, I could tell you yes or no, and it's not. Well, here's a, here's a better one then. Okay. okay. <laughs> the reason I ask, and and no, I mean, it's not unanswerable. They're just everybody has different meanings and so i'm asking you yeah. you know what your definition is and, and i'm not saying it's any different than mine you know i'm just asking you just for conversation like i said i'm, I'm sharing a conversation i have with myself yeah um yeah. so you know i'm not picking on you no but yeah, listen, you can't pick on me don't question. worry about it you can pick on me I mean, all you I guess, want i can deal with it <laughs> well basically for for me to ask the, the true question I would need for you to define, well, well you know... Well, try? What is the say, true question? What is the true question? Well, try it anyway. Well, everybody talks about the conscious mind and being conscious and being awake or aware, and but we're also aware of the subconscious mind who, you know, is easily susceptible to programming, propaganda, subliminal messages, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, that... Yeah, yeah, The yeah, subconscious yeah. mind processes things that our conscious mind does not, but if we're so conscious and awake, then, I mean, the subconscious technically, according to language and words, would be under or below. So maybe we're not so awake if we're talking about this consciousness and we can't even understand what's going on in our subconscious. Anyways, thoughts, please? <laughs> uh, well, I'd say, listen, you're, you're, getting, you're getting on to it. I mean, the, the first great awakening is really to get that you don't know what the hell's going on here. Exactly. And you've got to get through that. I mean, really, I'm seriously, that was my first awakening, was that everything I thought I knew was just the stories that I'd been told, including the oh, yeah. words that I was given to tell those stories in. And I, it's humbling, I'm telling you, when you really get seriously that you don't know shit. It's just yeah. a bunch of stories, and if you're actually serious about making sense, you got to start by disassembling all the bullshit. Yeah. And that's a tough one. You know, I, my hat's off to you if you can withstand that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I say that every night on on my show, and that's so. I'm just wondering, you know, your thoughts on. Is the subconscious really under and below, and is it fair to re re refer to ourselves as conscious? Oh, because you know, if we really were conscious, we would be able to decipher what's going on in the subconscious. Let and, me ask and you a question. right now, it seems that our subconscious understands or can process more than our conscious mind, so technically, <laughs> then our subconscious, it could not be below or underneath our conscious mind, right? You have what I would call a runaway language machine <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out because yeah, no, you're, so no, right. you're not I trying know. to figure it out your language machine is going a hundred miles an hour with a bunch of formulas that it's been programmed to do and none of those words you don't have a clue what any of those words mean well, no, that's why I'm asking you yeah. your definition. So that's not no, entirely no, but, true. No, but it's not. No, but see, it, it's, and then I'm asking you yeah. your thoughts on that mumbo jumbo because yeah. I think well, it's well, that's my. Question. I just gave you How my thoughts you on that mumbo jumbo. That that's what I'm saying. Is that what what I would suggest is uh, I, well, meditation isn't really the right word, but um, 
your relationship with your language machine, it would be really helpful if you just sat and observed your language machine going for some time. Just sit quietly uh, where there's no one else around and, you know, just talk, just let your, you know, that conversation you say you have with yourself, only actually listen to it, maybe even record it. You might want to turn the tape recorder on, say all this stuff out loud and start observing it and, and listen to it as a sign, and then listen to it later or read it, you know, write it down or do something and look at it and examine it and start asking yourself to define these terms. If you're just doing it inside your head as this, this thing that's just chatter going on and on, it, it, there's no way to get a handle on it and do anything about it. You need to get it out. But see, I don't pose the question necessarily to get a right or wrong answer. It's, it's because I want your opinion on those what what I just mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I I know how I feel, and I know supposedly in my conscious state, I'm much more aware than this, you know, material world that everyone else relates to so well. I I don't, but I, I'm just having a hard time. Yeah. Accepting that. Well, if I'm so conscious, how come I have no idea what the hell is going on in my subconscious? It's Absolutely. Just, you know. Yeah. Well, that's so a good it, question. I, I'm going to intervene. Wait, wait, stop. I'm going to intervene. Okay. When we take somebody back into hypnotherapy, they can remember things that they did not consciously notice in that moment. But exactly. they they're on a street corner. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you take them back into hypnotherapy, you can tap the subconscious mind, the memory. They can remember license plates. They can remember things that they saw that was going on across the street that they never noticed in that moment in their conscious mind. The truth is the subconscious mind is taking in so much information that if it allowed our subconscious mind to know how much it was taking in, we would snap. Your subconscious mind right now is processing the color of the wall in front of you. It's processing how much space is in the room. It's processing the sound of the electricity running around you. It's processing what's going out on in your backyard, your front yard, your side yard, the other room. But if your conscious mind tried to take all those thoughts that you much less what you're doing right now in the now moment. But if your conscious mind tried to compute all that, you would go nuts. So the conscious mind allows you to narrow in and focus where the subconscious mind is taking it all in. Yeah, but then we kind of miss 90% of our life because we're not tuned into that. Get so over I don't know, it. Maybe we don't like want to be yeah, conscious. Listen, you're maybe missing, we want to be subconscious. You're missing more than that. <laughs> Each of us is missing 99.9999% of the universe. Just pay yeah. attention to what you do have. Don't worry about what, you, what you're not aware of. There's a lot more you're not aware of, and you're never going to be aware of, and that's the end of the story. Get over it. Pay attention yeah, to what so you are aware of. Yeah, so maybe we're not necessarily conscious, consciously aware. Maybe we're really not, and so why? <laughs> right? Well, again, like I say, you, know, you have to decide for yourself uh, what myths you're going to live by. There's no justification <laughs> for any of it. You make up, you know, it's an artistic choice. It's not a... It's not some sort of moral or scientific choice. What kind of world do you want to live in? Pick the myth that resonates with that and live by it. Well, yeah, or philosophical choice. It doesn't always have to be. Uh, well, I don't mean no. It's know, all myth. It's all moral. myth. Doesn't mean. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I don't mean myth in the sense of wrong. I mean just as a, a story to live by. There's no way we exactly. can justify uh, anything. At the bottom, it's a, that's why I say a couple times. You know, it's a mystery. We live in a mystery, and it and anyone who who goes around claiming to know what's going on is a liar or a fool. Or probably I, I agree. I've said those exact yeah. same words yeah. myself. Yeah. I, and, I totally and, agree. But people <laughs> feel, see, but people have been trained uh, to not accept that they don't know because everyone's going around acting like they know what the hell's going on. And so people grow up as kids seeing all these adults walking around pretending like they know what the hell's going on. And they know kids know that they don't know what's going on, but they learn very quickly to act like they do. But wouldn't you say that the people who think they do know what's going on, a, a lot of them, they either refer to themselves as conscious or consciously aware, and but there's another major portion, and, and Dr. Kimberly, you know a few of them, that uh, show up on the show, but they, they'll like outright deny that there is any subconscious or any type of ability other than the waking conscious mind that we have been programmed well, to understand myth. with our five that, senses. That, even well, that's though what I'm no- saying. It's not about uh, who's right or wrong. That's the way they choose to see the world. It's not about they're right and you're of wrong course. or you're right and they're wrong. If they want to live on that myth, fine, go for it. <laughs> you know, well, it doesn't course, work for absolutely. me. But that doesn't mean I don't still want all the answers, and I know we've been lied to and deceived by our language, I mean, yeah. all throughout uh, the yeah, centuries. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. that's a, a major yeah. uh, a communication barrier that we all share, and, you know, anyways, so yeah. it's not, it wasn't necessarily a question about the words, actually yeah. what they mean. I, I yeah. just kind of wanted to pick your brain on your thoughts of, it. you know, is our subconscious really below our conscious? I, I mean, I well, would think... Well, I, I don't know what so you mean by conscious or subconscious, so I can't possibly answer Well, that's why I asked you to like define them. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, I can define them anyway. I wanted to answer yeah. based on your definition Actually, and your... Actually, I think the word unconscious or subconscious is totally a useless word. It covers way too much territory to be uh, to be of any value. I mean, I think probably that could the concept of, of subconscious should probably d- be divided up into 57 different uh, groups of, of very specific types of uh, activities that, that are you know that we use and, you know are concerned with. Uh, just calling it subconscious. It's like talking about vehicles. Go out and buy me a vehicle. Well, you know, what do you want? You want a bicycle, or do you want a Ferrari, or do you want an airplane, or a boat? Don't tell me you want a vehicle. <laughs> you know, tell me what you want. And uh, subconscious is like that. It's just too broad a category, a category to be useful in a discussion. So, so that's my reaction to the question about whether subconscious is under or over consciousness. I would say, tell me what you mean by subconscious, and not. Like I say, I, and I can't tell you what I mean because I never use that term. It's too. It's, well, yeah, it's like useless. I said, I, that's why I asked for your definition because yeah. I wanted your understanding. If we were going to talk about my definition or my understanding, then it would just. I mean, I might as well just continue to talk to myself. That'd be boring. I want to hear your perspective. <laughs> I like your perspective. We resonate. I mean, yeah. like I said, several of the things you've said tonight. Anyone who listens to my show will say, "Oh, I've heard that." I've, I mean, yeah. I've said your exact words before, so I'm yeah. just interested in yeah. your perspective yeah. on that little dilemma I have in my own mind, and, and yes, and I know I chose dilemma, that but still, uh, still, well, but it's my question to me. My question to you is, what is the dilemma in your mind? 
mind. There's another. Well, it's question. not a dilemma in my mind. It's just trying to understand what we've been taught and process it because what I know to be true isn't necessarily exactly what we've yeah. been taught. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. You know, Listen, I, can I can read the definitions of these words and. You know, do I accept the Wikipedia definition? Do I accept the Webster definition? Or do I want to just completely no. not ex exactly? No, do I want no, to no, throw listen, all aside listen. and create my own definition, which is what I do? You know, I like to think. But remember, and I like to talk to other people who like to think because I'd like to learn from them as well. But just remember <laughs> that the map you choose, you know what a topo map is, topographical map? Uh-huh. Okay. You can have a topo map and a street map for the very same territory. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, they look completely different. Nobody in their right. right mind would ask, which is the one true map for the territory? It's a stupid question. They're both true. Even though they don't look anything like each other, they're both useful maps. Uh, if, you're, if you're buying a house and you want to know if you need flood insurance, then you're going to get a topo map and see what the elevations look like in your neighborhood. If you're looking for a way to drive to work, you're going to get a street map. Different kind of map for a different purpose. They're both true. You keep them both. You don't pick one and throw the other one away. Any theory, any definition, any idea of, the, of any explanation, all those things are like maps. There can be multiple maps for the same territory. There's never a need to choose between them. The, 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 the challenge is to find the right map for the right problem at the right time the map i have well of course in that situation but we are living in a society with established you know rules and guidelines and Who is? you know I, I i'm willing to bet well i personally am not okay and well, i would guess that maybe you personally am not as well however most of society is so yeah. But who cares about I mean, them? I mean, I believe the language that if you went out in public and talked the way you did, most people would look at you like, huh? But the thing is, if you want to get along or have a conversation with these people, you have to understand their vocabulary yeah. and their Why meanings would you as well. Spend your time talking with these people. So we're not throwing out either map, but you have to understand, you know, I don't know. I think it would be boring to talk to the exact same person every day for the rest of my life. I like to be able to communicate with all types. Oh, so, well, so you're different. Anyway, you're that's different why person. it's important to define I people's understandings of certain words or understanding so that you can have a conversation with them and actually still, you know, learn something from it. Okay. May I say something? That's just my opinion. Right, we've, wait, we've got somebody else that wants to jump well, in. Well, I want to respond to that first. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, personally, I don't have any interest in talking to most human beings. As far as I'm concerned, they're a bunch of unconscious <laughs> language monkeys, and they're just slowing me down. You know, I have. I, I, I know how to be polite. Just let me finish this, okay? So I don't worry about whether 98 percent of the people get upset about what I say because I. I mean, I know how to be polite. I don't get in fist fights with people. I, you know, I can behave at a party, and you know, but I. I basically have created my life so that I don't have to put up with those people. I go to the market and I nice to the checker, and if someone is in the stand in the line with me, I can have a conversation with them, and they have no idea that I'm not a human being. You know, but uh, I have no interest in them. I go to work in an office with other people, a bunch of language monkeys. I'm polite to them. They think I'm a, well. They think I'm an asshole, probably, but they put up with me. <laughs> and but the point is, I don't care. You know, uh, I'd rather be by myself and with 
God or Bob and with the few conscious people that I know, and I just don't care about the rest of them. I totally understand. I am with you 100%. I, I live in a cave in the country, you know, in the well, middle of the forest. You were telling me about I, I you don't... have to live in this society. No, but you, you do de- have to go into society at some point. I, I, can, I mean, I grow most of my own food, but I still have to go to the store occasionally. I have children. We still have to be able to relate to other people, and maybe it's only an hour a week. That's Maybe it's only two hours. Man. That's not a problem. But, That's easy to do. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because it's a unique experience. So I, I totally understand. I don't want anyone ma- wasting my time either. So it's of my choosing, uh, you know, th- these certain times. But I, well, I, I like I don't to think hear you're really and learn me the real all perspectives. And that's the thing is that I think whatever that you've got another question lurking around. Because the, the no, you that asked, was it. Really, okay. I wanted to understand the the conscious and subconscious thing, and ask if you really think that the subconscious mind is above. I mean, is below or under the conscious mind? Yeah. And I don't really think I got an answer to that. But I, I was just that was my question. Yeah. Okay. No, you didn't get the answer to it. I gave an answer to it, but you oh. didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Okay, we have one more guest that wants to get in on this. Yeah. Guest six. Oh, am I unmuted? You are. You're unmuted. Oh, my God, I'm on the air. <laughs> You've been patiently waiting. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Millions no, I, of people are listening to you at this very moment. Don't blow oh, it. I, I, I know. It's, you know <laughs> I, I think you gave the, the perfect answer to her question. Which was? Which was... You couldn't answer her question because you didn't know how to define the words. Absolutely, using. yeah. The word. Uh, no, well, but wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was the first thing I asked you? Your definition of conscious, and then your definition of subconscious. So okay. that's why I did that. I asked for your definition, your perspective, nobody else's. So yes, that that was the purpose of me asking you to define, so that you could answer the question. Yeah, why would I waste that time asking you to define what you thought of those words, right? I mean, that's kind of, right? I don't waste time either. So I think it was important to have the defi- your definition of those words in order for me to a- answer the question. So I got your answer to your definition, but the ultimate question was never really answered. So go on, guess six. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're going around this tree again. Anyway, yes. uh, about what Dr. Kimberly was saying about conscious or subconscious, I don't think uh, I don't think it would be inaccurate what she said because I don't think the mind could handle taking in all the details and actually thinking about or categorizing those details. I mean, That's you can spend much. that. Yeah, you can't. But yeah. why not? And how do you know? Well, think about it like this, and th- this is where you get into definitions and people's perspectives. You could sit on your front porch for 10 minutes, just 10 minutes. Birds would fly by, cats would be across the street, somebody would come jogging by with their dog. But those are just the details that you notice. Your subconscious mind takes in the cement on your porch, the color of the grass, what blades are are taller than others, what are different shapes than others what kind of bird and how what color feathers he had, if any of those feathers were ruffled or not. 
what the air temperature was like, what the air smelled like, what the trees looked like, how much bark was on that tree, whether it was thinner in one part than it was in the other. Now, if you sat there, and, and that's just a very small amount of what you can take into your mind in 10 minutes of sitting on the porch. Very small amount. Yeah, but just language, think about how, yeah, how nuts would you go how nuts would you go how nuts would you go if you sat there and took all that detail in? You could spend over an hour. Well, we do take lunch. all that detail in. We take it in instantly. It's just the exactly. problem is you can't turn it into language. That's way too slow and clumsy. Exactly. Yeah. You're not really aware of what you're taking in unless no, it's you are aware. Of it. You just can't you can't do it with language. That's all. Language doesn't go there. That well, that's what I'm saying about people. People under hypnosis can bring that detail out if they're asked the right questions to remember that kind of stuff and detail that information. Sometimes they can. Sometimes they can't. Right. Well, that depends on who you're working with yeah, and how good the hypnosis is. It depends on all those things you were just talking about, the totality of the situation. Right. So those are, and to me, subconscious is not below. Subconscious, the way the term works for me, is it's that part of your mind that works behind the scenes. It takes in the minuscule detail and memorizes it in your brain so that you can remember it when you need to. Not all the time. Well, I, w I have a problem also, with just using the word. I mean, the word implies that it's a uh, sort of integrated single thing, the subconscious, and here it is, and it does stuff. And like I say, I think that's just an illusion. I think it's actually a multitude of much more specific kinds of activities that are being engaged in, and we just lump all that together under the term subconscious, and I, I think that's almost a useless term. Yeah. I mean, except on, certain, it, 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 you know, except on a very general level, you, you want to sum up all that stuff as the unconscious, yeah, okay, but you can't really say much very useful about it until you start breaking it down into what are the components of it. Yeah, well, you're talking about a lot of things when you start talking about the components of it. I mean, look at the autonomic system, you know, your heart, blood pressure, uh, you know, systolic activity, things of that nature in your body that are part of subconscious activity, so to speak, for lack of a better term. Well, and plus, you know, you're really talking about the fact that our bodies are actually like antennas connected to the entire universe, and it's not just the internal processes. Our bodies, you know, the skin literally connects us. To, it doesn't separate us from the world. It connects us to the world, you know. Uh, the, the, the photons from stars, you know, thousands of, well, tens of light years, hundreds of light years, even thousands of light years away impinges on my retina when I walk outside at night. You know, we are connected to the entire cosmos. In, in more ways than we can imagine. Yes, right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the idea of grasping it and capturing it in some sort of linguistic formula is ludicrous. It, and all I'm going to say, and then I'm going to shut up, because I think she said enough, but <laughs> no, no, just you know, no shot intended there. But um, he covered they, the subject well. <laughs> I think uh, someone who's on the true path of learning always asks questions, and someone who's truly learning gets answers that raise more questions. <laughs> well put, well put. Yes. Yes, the answers always only bring more questions. Exactly. No, always. Well, the interesting no, I don't, questions, no, I... anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes I, you get I'm, answers that close off doors too. That's true, and those can be good too. And you know, you finally get your ultimate answer, and you can move on from that topic. Well, I'm not sure I accept the concept of an ultimate answer, but you know, we could probably come to an agreement on that. I bet. An ultimate answer to a topic, not an ultimate answer to every topic. Well, even to one topic. I would say I get to a place where I've found an answer that I'm willing to go with. I certainly wouldn't call it anything ultimate. It's just I get to a point where sometimes I need to make a decision and, I, and make, come to an answer about something, and I do. Uh, and it's just the answer that I come to. But what's that old cliche? If you live in the United States, the only thing guaranteed is death and taxes. I think I'm happy with that answer. <laughs> Alright, now when you, um, you know, I've researched what happens if we get to go through ascension and get to move forward, okay? And if we do, supposedly we will no longer communicate with words and language the way we do now. That it's real, you know, it's hydrat. You know, it really slows us down. Sentient beings communicate mentally with one another. And they don't do it with words. They do it with emotions, smell, pictures. They could put together like a little mini movie. Well, I don't see how you can say they and, don't and do it with words. They way. don't do it exclusively with words, they, but they do it with All right, words, that's too. A, that's a good, word, good way to put it, not exclusively. They do it with words, you too. Can you, you can transmit so much more information not limiting yourself with words. Well, they're different domains. Like I say, it's not even about more. The domain of language is real good for that kind of stuff, and other things are better for other kinds of stuff, and it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, and they're all, they all have a domain of usefulness, I think. And I think language, if used properly, is wonderful, but it's limited. You know, it's good for what it's good for, and it's really terrible for what it's not good for. Okay, guess six, are you done? Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, verbal communication apparently is important because the, when you look at the research being done around Mount Shasta, which is allegedly the home of some aliens or off-worlders, the language they speak in is an ancient language here on, used here on Earth called Sumerian or Sanskrit. Right. That's a verbal communication that they use to say hello and meet each other in because people have gone up there and, and said, hello, welcome, greetings, whatever, in Sanskrit, and got responses from what they described as humans wearing clothes they've never seen before that <laughs> soon after disappear. Just just a side note, you know. I'm full of oh, it's all good. trivia. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. I, I want to move on. I think you have a very, very nice guest tonight, and I want to say to your guest that self-expression is not one of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> really, you're very astute. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. All right, Heron, um, one thing that caught me on your website, okay, uh under the wisdom. Yeah. So you've got all these wonderful quotes. Lots of wonderful quotes. Yeah. But one in particular 
I have to ask, why did it get put on there? And I'm going to need some justification for it. Oh, good. Okay? This sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> History never repeats itself. Ah, yeah. Okay. So what about it? Do we not see history repeating itself time and time and time again? No, no, it never repeats itself. I mean, it's similar. It goes to, when I say, rep- I'm, I'm sort of playing a little language game there. It, it's okay. never it's never the same. It may be similar. Similar patterns may run, but it's not actually repeating itself exactly. You know, that's just crazy on the face of it. And the moment you think about it for a half a second, you'll, you'll see that it's certainly not the same. Maybe there may be some similarities that you can draw lessons from, but it's not repeating itself. It's different. Different okay. people, different situations, different times, different technologies. It's all different. Always. Every so even moment if it's is the different. same situation. It's not the same situation. No, no, it's not the same situation. Nothing is the same situation ever. I am not the same person now I was when uh, two seconds ago. You know, the spoon. Are you sit- talking cellularly or mentally or in any way you can, any way, every single way that you can think about it? Uh, there's a spoon sitting on my desk. That spoon is a whirling process of electrons that changes from nanosecond to nanosecond. The fact that I pick it up and look at it and say, "Oh, it's the same spoon," that's just a convention of language. This thing is a cosmic mystery that is constantly being changed and turned into energy and back, uh, you know, and it and it, just running my finger along it uh, totally realigns billions of atoms. Uh, you know, it's not the same from moment to moment. If this spoon isn't the same from moment to moment, then what else could possibly be the same? Nothing. It's all in process. You know, Heraclitus said you don't step into the same river twice. Nothing. Everything is process, it seems. Of course, that I may be wrong. That's just my theory. <laughs> Well, we're here to get your theory. Well, that's my theory. It's brain. all in process, and the idea that history repeats itself is nonsense. That's not to say that we can't extract uh, lessons from observing the past, you know, and seeing what kinds of foolishness. Okay, wait, wait. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Yeah. By observing yeah. the past, do we change it? The past? If we add an observer, yeah. Yeah, we've shown that adding an observer... Yeah, no, changing but the past, electron pattern. Yeah, but see, there's no such thing. By observing the past, do we not change it? Um, the past. Depends on what you mean by the past. I mean, you know, again, to, now you're asking sort of technical, difficult questions that, that in this context, I don't think I don't think I can answer. I mean, not, okay, not, not without fair. going into a whole bunch of detail about defining terms and stuff. Because ultimately, uh, there is no such thing as the past or the future. All there is is now. The, the past okay. and the future are just constructs in the now. Linguistic constructs, too, by the way. Dogs don't think about the past or plan for the future. Only linguistic beings have pasts and futures. Well, actually, animals can have a little bit of a future and a little bit of past. Actually, they do, but it's not like ours. I, I take people on some of my meditations back to past moments of trauma and have them rewrite a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I make them become an, an observer of their life. 
an observer of something that they're still holding yeah. pain or anger or grief, you know. Yeah. And the goal is not to actually change that past moment. You know, and even though we rewrite it in their mind, in their subconscious mind, with a different outcome, because the subconscious mind does not know the difference between what it has actually done and what it has thought. But what it does is it changes the impact. Well, they've done tests on that. Well, I know. I've listened. I've read this stuff, studied this stuff too, I, and I, I'm not. Like I say, this, these are subjects now that I think, in order to really get serious about, we'd have to start to, to find terms, and um, right. and you know, I mean, and I'm willing to do that, but that might not be the best thing for your show. Okay. Well, I'm just saying I've taken back so that we can change the impact that it has on them in the now. Yeah. Yeah, the past is almost not, irrelevant. It's how we relate to the past now that counts. Whatever right. happened, happened. I mean, you know, if you're still dragging it around and crushed by it, that's happening right now. <laughs> you know, it didn't happen then. That's what you're doing now. And that can be changed. Right. And so many people do that. So many people have a run-in tape recorder of things that were said to them, oh, things yeah. they said to other people, and constantly creating more anger, more guilt, yeah. more fear, more shame, instead of moving forward yeah. to blessing it. And what they're doing is running old programs in their language machine. You know, they're just repeating the same old formulas over and over and over again, adding energy to it, uh, just repeating the same old stuff over and over and over again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Anything else from where we were just talking about the wisdom that you would like to talk about. Oh, I just love, I would highly recommend that anybody listening go to gendo.net and on the uh, on the first page there you'll see a, a link to gendo and then within that page you'll see one called The Wisdom. And uh, it's just a bunch of quotes. I've done a lot of reading, a lot of studying in my life and a long, long time ago, every time I read a good sentence that I thought really said something clearly and well, uh, I copied it down. And this is long before uh, uh, computers. I started this way back. I actually published a book of quotations, self-published. Really? Oh, yeah. But that was, you know, a small run, like 50 copies. You know? <laughs> uh, but in any case, you know, uh, I've collected these for years. And, and now with computers and stuff. Uh, I mean, So anyway, I've, I've got a lot of those... Uh, Oh, reality is the only choice. You have another great one. Yes, I love that one. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, so reality. Cool. There isn't anything. That's a good one. You brought up, I think, a really interesting point about reality. This is another one of those words that gets people really in a lot of trouble. And <laughs> and to me, reality is real simple. Most And I think most people are just totally off the wall on this. Most people think of reality as something sort of outside themselves, some sort of hard thing that's out there that that's reality, and they'll pick up a rock and bash you in the head with it. And that's reality. And I would say, no, that's not reality. The way I use the word reality, reality is whatever I experience right now. Like right now, I'm sitting on the floor, because I sit on the floor, I don't have any regular furniture, and I and I, I can feel my butt on the floor, and I'm sitting cross-legged, and I can, it's been really hot here. So I've got a fan blowing, and I can feel the fan, you know, cooling me and see stuff and hear stuff. And 
taste my tongue and all that. And whatever I'm experiencing, that's reality. Now, if I think I'm Napoleon, well, I think I'm Napoleon. That's my reality. What I really, what's really, what's really going on, whether there really is a fan over there blowing on me, you know, and that it's real and hard and all that stuff, that's a whole different issue than what I'm experiencing. That's a theory to explain what I'm experiencing. And there are lots of different theories to explain my experience, and some of them I find interesting, and some of them I find kind of stupid. But none of them are reality. They're just theories about to explain my experience. Reality, for me, is my experience right now. Period. Very simple. Whatever I'm experiencing, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever it is, that's my reality. The concept of a reality other than that is a theory. Something that exists only in the domain of language. Interesting. How is that? Another one that I like. So this is inevitable. Yeah. Pain is optional. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I may reconsider. Pain may be inevitable too. <laughs> I don't think but, so. But suffering I really is. Don't think but I think so. suffering is optional. I think pain is part of life. But how you deal with pain is. I mean, if you if you resist the pain in a stupid way, then that's suffering, and that is optional. You don't need to. But maybe you have to suffer some before before you get tired of it and decide to, to wake up and stop suffering. But, uh, I mean, pain, you know, I mean, you know, you stub your toe, you know, you, I mean, painful shit happens. People leave you, people die, you get upset, there's all sorts of things. But suffering or getting hung up on that, that's when the problems start showing up. I'm sitting here reading over the quotes, and it's just, it's just one after another. I'd like to just sit here and read them all, but, you know, I'm just going to tell people. Gendo, G-E-N-D-O. Yeah, Gendo. It's a word G, not, not Gendo. Oh, yes. Gendo. Gendo. And uh, the wisdom quotes are just, you know, read three or four every day. Yeah, that's exactly you know, what they were I mean, intended for. You know, you just flip through it and read one and see if it, you know, if it makes any sense. And by the way, there are some things in there that I think are just totally absurd and stupid too. Well, I'm reading one right now. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing half ass. Oh no, that's a good one. <laughs> no, that's not a stupid one. That's a good one. A lot of times oh, there isn't no. time to to do it right. Sometimes you, you're under time constraints, and doing a shitty job is better than doing no job at all. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, normally I I mean, you would strive to do it the best you can, but sometimes you can't do that. Well, somebody's personal best is different from somebody else's personal best. Well, yeah, but no, you're just talking about your own. There are times when I do stuff that doesn't meet my own standards, uh, but, you know, I still it's still better to do a sort of half-assed job than to do no job at all. Right. But normally, like I said, my heart is in not doing half-assed jobs, though. This is actually try and do the best you can, always. But, you know, sometimes I don't make it, you know. Alan, we've been going at this for two hours. Two hours and 20 minutes? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It doesn't even feel like we've been 10 minutes. This has been... Very, very, very entertaining so far. I'll oh, let you know. Good. Okay. And uh, 
So, yeah, I know. Did you see what Truth Brigade put up? That sentence that I can't pronounce. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's that's one of the uh, that's one of the ones I I wrote in Earth in Earthling or in phonographics actually. You can decipher. Go into that. We because we really haven't gone into that. No, that's a whole different thing. I invented a new writing system for English, but it doesn't. That doesn't look right though. See, because those are that's the way it, it's when you convert. I mean, I actually have new characters. Uh, you know some new symbols that that uh, that aren't in the regular alphabet because the, the alphabet is stupid. I mean, it's it's hardly phonetic at all. I mean, it's, you know, everybody knows that. That's why nobody can spell English because English is stupid. Is stupid. The way it's spelled is stupid. It's the only way I can say it. You know, it's a stupid spelling system. So I invented one that actually makes sense. Well, I gotta say, you know, I'm. I'm pretty smart, you know. I'm not the smartest cookie in the class. I'm pretty smart. And I was going over some test results that I took when I was in high school. You know, and even though I was blowing the charts off the math and and the English and everything, every other aspect, but spelling, I have never been able to spell and pronunciate correctly. Yeah. That has always eluded me. Well, always. yeah, it, well, it, it's, it's not surprising. I mean, you're not the only one. Uh, English spelling is uh, a horror story, you know. And some people get it, and some people don't. And you know, it just depends on your wiring and stuff. I'm I'm okay with that stuff. I can do it. But uh, in a sense, the fact that I can do it is a measure of my brain damage. Really, is that I've got a hardwired sort of anti-system, uh, you know, for the English spelling system. So, I mean, it's an irrational system, so I've got an irrational counter system in my head that deals with that, and it does okay. But, uh, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it, I understand. So it's, it's heron bonnets. <laughs> what? It's heron bonnets. Heron bonnet? Instead of e-bonnets, oh. heron Oh, bonnet. I got you. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, no, that's a whole different thing, though. It's not like that. Uh, it's just a phonetic writing system, basically. And there's a good explanation if you, on the front page at gendo.net. One of the uh, links is to phonographics, and that explains the writing right. system. It, you, if you click you on know, it, I've... it'll download a PDF that, uh, that explains in detail how the writing system works. And and the thing that that uh, Truth Brigade put in there, would you like me? To, it's obscene. That's why I why yeah. I wrote it that way. Should I write a read it for you? Uh, yeah. Okay. It says basically what it says is never fuck anyone crazier than you. See, one of the things about phonographics is that it's not. Written <laughs> I in, see it. I yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. Of course you do. It's real easy. Uh, because yeah. uh, we don't we don't talk in disconnected words when we talk. <laughs> we run all our words together, and so in phonographics, you write exactly the way you talk. So the first uh, the first four there are the are, is the word never, and I use right. but we had we spell it in English N E V E R but actually if you think about it and listen never is only four sounds that second e right. doesn't belong there that would be never <laughs> you know right. we don't say never we say never and so that's right. N E V R and then fuck 
is F-U-C-K, but it's actually only three sounds, and that large, well, it's an O, actually, is the sound uh. Okay? So, fuck. Yeah. And, and anyone, you can see that. There's that uh sound again. Yeah. Anyone crazier than you. Ooh, and actually that's misspelled. No, anyone? That, no, that's right. Than you. Okay, yeah, right. The and the the six Thank is you. the is the uh. th sound the voice th the th in than than it's not, okay. because th is stupid way to spell the sound th. it's not a t and it's not an h <laughs> you know it's not a combination of a t right. and an h it's a completely different sound it's the sound th. so I use the six for the th sound so that's what it says never fuck anyone crazier than you. But then how would you have fun? Pardon me? How would you have fun? How would I have fun? How do you have fun? Oh, how do I have fun? If you fun? don't have sex with people crazier than you. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know... I'm I, just uh, giving you a joke. <laughs> no, it's not a joke. It, it's absolutely serious. And I, I'm not celibate because uh, of any moral issues. Uh, and I'm not really celibate. If I find the right situation, I'll jump in the sack with anybody. But I haven't found the right situation in quite some time because uh, I don't fuck people crazier than me, and I haven't run into it very many that I was attracted to. <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, no offense, but is there anybody crazier than you? Because really, a, a, among normal no, standards, I mean is, I'm not no, saying no, this, I don't mean I'm not that. saying this derogatory. Don't take no, that, I, that no, way. I okay. No, no, no. What I'm saying okay. is, I don't, I don't get intimately involved with language monkeys with regular humans. Okay. You know, I don't get emotionally involved with normal human beings because in my experience has been that's just a no-win situation, you know. Well, you can't have a conversation with them. Well, you can't, you know, it's just it's just better that we keep uh, the species apart. I'm I don't I'm not a believer in <laughs> trans speciesism. I know we got a bunch sorry, of people here who want to keep the races apart, you know, who don't are really concerned about their racial purity. I just don't want to have anything to do with humans in general, <laughs> you know. So I, I try to avoid oh God, the humans funny. whenever possible. Like I say, I can get along with them okay, but I, I, I don't get emotionally involved with them. I mean, sometimes that's I funny. do, but, but especially not sexually, though, because that just liberates all sorts of weird energy that, uh, you know, it's just it's not worth it. Or maybe it would be. Like I say, in the right situation, like I say, I don't have any moral qualms about it. It's just that uh, what I see is, you know, I just see that, you know, for a few moments, pleasure is going to end up hurting somebody uh, more than it's worth, you know? Not me, but probably them. Yeah. So how do you find somebody on your level? Uh, I don't very many, but that's okay. I mean, I, I see. I go back to my college days when I first figured this out for me. I was very yeah. social. I mean, I, and I go, th I go through these periods. I've been real social and had lots of friends and all that. And then I've been a hermit for years at a time and, and go back. But I, in in my early years in college, I was really social. We had a clique that hung out in the cafeteria, you know, and and uh, you know, it was like twenty or thirty people. We all knew each other and hung out together, you know. But at some point. I really began to look around at all these people, and I realized that actually not one of them, or actually there was one, but aside from one person, 
none of them really contributed anything to my life that, that was meaningful. You know, they basically wasted my time. And, and, and often uh, when I left their company, I was actually sort of drained of energy rather than energized by it, you know. And so I decided, well, I think we talked about it before. Yeah, I just decided I wasn't going to have people in my life unless they actually brought something to the table, you know, unless they actually made my life better. And if it was just neutral or worse, then I just don't need that. So that was what I did. I just basically cut off from most people, and that meant I had one or two friends. And rather than just having acquaintances that I hung around with, I just quit hanging around with people except for the people that I really felt that I benefited from their presence. And I still, I've always been that way since, you know. I mean, I can be nice to people and, and, you know, in a group of people and polite and exchange small talk, but I'm going to get out of there as soon as I can. (laughs) What you said about it being draining is very true. Yeah. Very, very true. You know, and I I could go off on this tangent for a while, but it's one of my soapboxes, so I'm just going to, I'm going to let that go because this is, I want to know your brain. I'm going to tell you, people in the chat room are already uh, trying to chat, you know, this way. I don't know if you see it. Uh, no, I put, when I'm talking in a conversation, I hide the window, so I have no idea what's going on. If you'd like me to look at it and respond to it, I'll no, have well, to do it. But. Well, I'm just, I'm just telling you, you know, they're starting to absorb this and uh-huh. put it out there. And, you know, one thing that I was going to bring out, I was waiting for the point to bring it up, I think this is a good point, you know, is, you know, relating it to texting, right? And what, what I'm noticing, oh, texting. because texting, what I'm noticing is out in the general public, especially around my teenagers, you know, the adults in the future, they're, they're talking, you know, like they'll be talking to one another and they'll go, oh, wow, yeah, IDK, you know, and I mean, this is becoming a new language, you know, wow, laugh out loud. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, um, IDK, I don't know. So, but immediately the person they're talking to knows exactly what they're saying, you know, text computers, is bringing up, uh, you know, because people are not going to type any more than that. But, you know, when people are typing emails, they don't do formally, dear sir. Well, it depends on you who know, you're writing to. You know, again, it depends. Well, true, I mean, true, sometimes true. you do and sometimes true. you don't. That's right. There are different styles for different occasions. Yeah. Right. And, and so, yeah, language but, is know. under enormous uh, pressure for change these days, especially since all these new people around the world are learning English. You know, and they're changing it, and it's changing here. I mean, it's amazing to watch language change. It's just, it's awesome. That's another reason. Well, it is so changing. I mean, and it's, it's changing not only, you know, the, the computers, the cell phones, and the instant messaging, and, you know, the chat rooms. It's not only changing our written communication, but what I'm seeing, and I never thought I could, for maybe isolated incidences, but I'm seeing it pretty overwhelmingly. But it's starting to come out in people's conversations. Yeah. The Every way we communicate over text. The world is being transformed before our eyes. We will see in the next 30 years the end of the age of nation states, the end of religion as we know it, the end of civilization as it has been conceived, and the establishment of, the, of a, a new world order. <laughs> or, Again, not because some heavy-handed government takes over, but because we are going to wake up and we don't need a government. We can manage ourselves. We can live together. Do you think together. there's any chance? To, I'm sorry, what? Do you think there's any chance the humans are going to wake up? Oh, I think it's inevitable and the only possible solution. 
electing somebody else president isn't going to make end. These old institutions are useless. They're not. They're not going to solve anything. They are the problem. <laughs> they're not going to have any solution. The solution is for a vast majority of human beings to wake the fuck up. That's the only solution. Any well, other solution? With that. Huh? Good luck with that. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's inevitable. I, see, I don't see it happening. Oh, I, I just—I don't have faith in that. Well, you're at not all. looking in the right places. I don't see anything but it. It's all—it's everywhere I look. I see it happening. You have to. You know, know I what see it happening for. around certain certain well, groups. It's early uh, in the game you call right it now. It's early in the game right now. You have to know where to look. Like I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're I'm not right. seeing it on a mass scale at all. Well, you're As a matter of fact, I've pretty much given up on the masses. Well, that's your business. You, you, you know, if you, yeah. if you're interested, I could, we could talk about it sometime. There are, I see it everywhere. Well, here we are talking about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. Okay. Well. Okay. Let's <laughs> All right. Let me think about it for a second. Well, I mean, like honestly, I say, listen, when I, if once you understand, once you take the long-term perspective, again, you really have to internalize this long-term perspective of, of uh, punctuated equilibrium to see what's going on. And once you accept that, if you accept, I mean, again, there's, there's a point at which uh, it's an act of creation, not an act of discovery. You make a choice about what basic principles you're going to take as your operating system. If evolution is that system, uh, then then this follows inevitably. Earth is a living organism that's going through metamorphosis. It's changing from what it was into what it's becoming. And it's not about us doing it. It's happening, whether we like it or not. And, and I can't convince you that that's true. You have to decide that that's true. You have to say, I'll well, take I, that as my I bottom can, line. You know, for a long time, I wanted that. I mean, I really wanted that. I had this odd thought that everybody would get it. You know, and everybody well, would wake uh, up. Uh, and uh, uh, no, it, no, we're too early now. That hasn't... See, we're ahead. Of, there are only a few of us here now. You know, and that was that. me 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I know. I know, out. I know. I know. I know. But <laughs> I know, and I know the frustration. But what I'm saying is, you know, there has to be a when when you got a caterpillar before it turns into a, a butterfly, there's a single cell in that caterpillar that's the first cell to start doing butterfly business, and that is a beleaguered cell because he's got no support whatsoever. And then somewhere else in the caterpillar body, there's another cell that wakes up to being a part of a butterfly. And then some more. But in the beginning, they're just a tiny, tiny percentage. But if you understand the process, you can see those cells and you realize that they are the future. Well, you know, and I do understand that children are being born more advanced. Yeah, that we're, and we're bringing more, in a whole new race of beings. There are more how many. There must be millions of them. Whereas, but I also see, you know, for the children I see being born, coming in with a higher, just more knowledge, you know. For those children I see, I also see children being born that are just absolutely soulless. Uh, yeah, well, you got to know where to look. Like I say, you know, in your line of work, you're surrounding yourself by a right. bunch of caterpillar people. And you know, and I just I I see it happening on some levels, but I don't see it happening on a large enough level 
Not yet. To make I, a difference. Well, like I say, you have to understand the way the system works. It starts, I mean, it's an exponential thing. It can go on for a... You know, just like the human population was stable for, you know, there was no change for thousands of years. Even in 1900, just 100 years ago, there were only like, you know, 1 billion people on the planet. There's almost 7 billion now, you know, and the and the curve is going up. Right now, uh, the percentage right. of people, um, you know, who are, who are butterfly people is probably only 1%, maybe less than 1%. But... But, you know, 10 years ago, it was probably a, a quarter of 1%. And 100 years ago, it was probably a thousandth of 1%. So it's... You think? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, there's an explosion of consciousness going on. But it's still in the early phase, so, so you don't really see it. What you see still is we're surrounded by caterpillar stuff, for the most part. But once you start looking, once you know what to look for, you see it all over the place. There's little butterfly signs here and there. I mean, and often in people who don't even think of it in those terms, you know? I mean, not everybody... I, mean, you can be part of this. I'm sorry. I what? follow what you're saying, okay? Yeah. I do follow what you're saying. All right? I, I, I totally and completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. But you I'm don't just feel not it. seeing yeah. enough caterpillars fast enough. No, what no it's not fast enough for you. The, but the growth I, is exponential. It's not fast enough for me either. I get frustrated too. But uh, that's my problem. I mean, it's it's what it is. This is the way right. it is in the year 2009 on the planet Earth. So get over it. This is what we get to work with. It's not fast enough for me, but that's what we get to work with. And I have faith, if you will, or I, again, I, I have decided what system I'm operating on, and I operate on it. I assume Earth is a healthy organism that's going through a metamorphosis, and the fact that it's not going through it fast enough to suit me is really my problem. Earth is probably quite healthy, just doing exactly what it's supposed to do, and maybe I don't really understand all of the, all of the aspects of it. I don't think Bob screwed up. I think the universe has not made a mistake. I think this planet is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. All right. That's my assumption. <laughs> I can't prove that. And again, I, yeah, there's no way to convince anybody to accept that. I've decided to act as though that's true. We create reality by well, acting Well, we on do it. create reality. You are correct. And it's the only reality we accept, those of us who are on a higher consciousness level, is that it will be ascension. Then it will be ascension. Well, I, I assume it is, and that's the end of it. I don't need to prove it. I can't prove it. I can't justify it. Well, I want it. I'm not asking you to. No, I know you can't. That's but you saying. know, by us having this conversation, though, yeah. we're expanding the consciousness. You know, I'm helping you expand yours. Absolutely. Just by having to come down from where you think to come talk to me. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I can't say you've changed my mind on it, but uh, you've changed my perspective. Also, I'm not interested in changing your mind. You have to change your mind. You know, I mean, and your mind is changing moment by moment. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to the mind change shop tomorrow. Mind well, your mind again. Your mind is uh, is constantly changing. It's not what it was a week ago, or five years ago, or twenty years ago, and it's going to change more in the future, and probably faster and more in the future. So who knows where you're going to end up? Who knows where I'm going to end up? I have no idea. It's 
going to be fun, though. <laughs> yes, it will. Just as Bill Hicks says, it's a hell of a ride. It damn well is. You got that. It is a hell of a ride. Yeah. And I am enjoying it. I'm glad I chose to be here at this time. You know, what more exciting time was there to incarnate You know, that's what I keep thinking. You know, why is it that people rush off to the movies to get their adrenaline up? Man, you know, we are living at the most exciting time in the history of this planet. You know, they go to see a movie about Alexander the Great. You know, some punk guy a couple thousand years ago with a few thousand people marching around in the desert killing people you know, like that's some great glory and here we live at, at the end of the age of nation states and religion and the beginning of the first global enlightened civilization and we get to participate in that and people are bored god how pathetic <laughs> is that well they are you know look at the movie industry well, I know. you know it's pathetic. I have I, I I go tan. Okay, I live in a small southern town, and the place that I tan has a little video rental store, right? And I made the mistake one day of getting into a conversation with, you know, one of the sleepers. You know, he was actually, you know, he was trying to hit on me. You know, and so he asked me, "Hey, hey, hey, have you seen this movie?" You know, and I just responded back with, "I don't watch movies." And it wasn't smug; it was just the truth. I don't watch movies. Yeah. You know, I refused to even acknowledge the movie he had in his hand. And, you know, and of course there was more subconscious going on here with the body language and, the, you know, the, la- the language that was not being spoken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he looked at me funny and he said, well, I know it's kind of a he said. Okay, I said, I don't own a TV. We coiled from me. Like I was a vicious viper. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean he, he really recoiled. Oh, he I said, know. you don't yeah. watch TV? Yeah, yeah. And I said, no, I have it for you. You know, I mean, my parents had it at home, and after I got out of the house, I never really had it again. Yeah. You know, um, don't watch TV, no. And it was just, he looking at me like, what kind of mutant yeah. are you? Yeah, I know. You know and I'm like, and, and I looked at him, I said, well, I read books. Oh, that's even worse to say. That's the worst. Oh. Well, you, you've heard the Bill that's Hicks crime, routine on you know. that. You know, we got a reader yeah. here. <laughs> you know. Well, I got rid of my TV anyway. about, I don't know, 15 years ago. And my, my boss, who, I, who for a language monkey is pretty cool, I like her, she's okay. But she is really creeped out, I mean, really, by the fact that I don't have a TV. She can't imagine... She, I mean, she said, you know, what do you do at night when you're home <laughs> if you don't have a TV? I mean, I don't know what she's imagining, but it, she thinks, I don't know, but she thinks she's, she's like really creeped out by the fact that I'm sitting here without a TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really bothers, you know, now yeah. what's beautiful is, uh, you know, I walk at night, and I walk during the day, but I walk, and, uh... One thing I've noticed in my little suburban neighborhood, you know, is I can walk up and down the streets, I can walk the perimeter of the neighborhood, I can, you know, go through it, go around it, whatever. Most of the people in my neighborhood at night do not have TVs on. Really? Really. Wow. 
I walk too. I know. And almost every house I go by, you can see the blue glow of the television. And the flash, the hypnotic strobe. Yeah, yeah the strobe the effect no, and all that. No, I'm telling you, on my street, on any given night, now it's only two blocks long, you'll only see three houses with the TV Do you on. know uh, many of these people? Have you ever talked to them? No. Well, get no, not busy, either. girl. Well, I say hello when I walk. Those people are potential butterfly people. Anyone who's not watching television is doing something highly abnormal and suspicious, and you should get to know them immediately. <laughs> Maybe they're listening to the radio. Well, who knows? Whatever they're doing, they're not watching television, and that's that's a sign of no, somebody who is not a good American. That's what they say. Yeah, right. Those are but I'm telling you, my neighborhood is not flooded with people who are watching TV. Yeah, it's well, just that's amazing. Interesting. You, should, you should start exploring those people. I'd be really interested to find out what's going on with them. What are they doing? Who the hell do they think they are, anyway? <laughs> you know, I could just, I got my, you know, we're not on Skype right now. I'm on my cell phone. Well, if it wasn't 1 o'clock in the morning, start going door to door. Hey, we're live on the air. I just want to know, why are you not watching What the hell's the matter with you? We've come to arrest you for the TV police. But, you know, I don't want to blow their cover, you know. Yeah, that's right. You have to be careful about this, you know. Yeah, you don't want to just go rushing into this. But I have to say, around here, could be cleaning their guns. You know, I do live in a small southern town. Well, that even surprises me more. I thought you were going to tell me. What I see, like I say, when I walk around here in California, is every single house has got that blue strobe going on in the living room. You know, Not everyone, but just about all of them. I thought California was a bit more evolved. Well, it is in some ways, but nah, it's just uh, the land of the language monkeys here, too. I really thought California was more of Now, what I don't like about my small southern town is they're starting to seize in everywhere. They're starting to what? Put TVs in. Oh, yeah. Oh. Every, everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, if yeah. you've got to go out in the public to do any kind of business. Yeah, there's a TV, yeah. Yeah, when I go to the gas know, station, and, there's a goddamn guy, as soon as I turn, put my card in the thing, the TV comes on. Some guy starts yelling at me, trying to sell me some shit. God, I hate that. Yeah. And now you get ads yeah. everywhere on the internet, too. God, I mean, you know, you try oh, to look, watch I was, thing, and you first you got to watch a 30 I remember second. the internet before banner ads. Oh, I know, man. That's how old school I am. Oh, listen, I remember the internet before there was an internet. <laughs> yeah, well, you were in the military, you, had, you know, right? That's where you no, I wasn't in the military. I mean, I was in the military, but that wasn't it. But I was in, I mean, back in the very beginning. But before the Internet was there, there were other things sort of like it, Usenet and ARPANET. And, uh, right, you know, All right. sorts of things like that. And email, when email got st- started. That was so exciting back in those days. That was cool. But, Dude, I learned on a TRS-80, okay? Okay. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. I was one of them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I got started in 1984. <laughs> that was yeah. when I got started with computers. Um, Chris, Christy's asking in the chat room. He was in Vietnam, and he was in the Air Force. Yeah. That's what he did in the military. Yeah. Only because he didn't have the balls to go to Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
I didn't, yeah, going to jail or leaving the country, I mean, that's really what I should have done, but uh, it was easier to go in the Air Force, <laughs> so, so that's what I did. That's, I'm is a little bit ashamed of it, but, you know, you know, uh, that was me then, that was a long time ago, that's not me now, but that was, that was how I handled it then. Uh, she's asking medic, electronics, combat, and I'm going to say pilot. No, computers, pilot, actually. Right? <laughs> no. Really? Yeah. Back in Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. That, but, I mean, it was, that's a long story. So communication. No, it was uh, inventory control, computers. You know, I mean, a, oh. an Air Force base has got to have lots of stuff, you know, like toilet paper and pens and chairs and desks and airplane parts and trucks and truck parts. You know, they, there's all that stuff and they had, uh, you know, computer systems. <laughs> I mean, they were so primitive, it's really funny to even think about it now. I mean, we, there were these 80-column punch cards. I don't know if anybody remembers those, but the way you put data into a computer is somebody typed on a punch card machine, and you got these little cards about four inches high and eight inches long and all these holes in them. And then you'd stack all these cards up and put them into this big thing that read them, and it was really so... It was... <laughs> Cumbersome, amazing. So you were you were radar pretty much. No, I was in the computer. No, no, no radar from MASH. Oh. So uh, MASH. Uh, no, I, no, I wasn't even that. You know, no, I wish it would have been that much fun. <laughs> 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 no, it was just boring. Basically, I spent most of my time. Well, I mean, I worked, you know, eight hours a day, and at least I had an air because the computers were in an air conditioned room. So at least I was in an air conditioned room. Because it's hot and, and humid in Vietnam, where I was down the south. And uh, so I spent most of my time in an air-conditioned room with the computers. And, uh, and then the rest of the time I was in the NCO club getting drunk watching the Filipino strippers. <laughs> you know, And if I wasn't there, then I'd be back in the barracks reading books on, uh, on what I studied. Two things that year. I learned to play chess, and I read about oriental rugs. Because we, we had this crappy library, and those were the only things I could find in the library that were vaguely interesting. So I studied chess. So was this before or after your first book, your first Alan Watts book? Oh, this was, uh, let's see, was this before? This was after. Okay, so you had learned how to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, that's right, that's right. I was a reader. <laughs> so you learned how to read, and yeah. you got stuck, yeah. stopped down in the middle of a war. Yes, you know, it's really interesting. Started- is, is I, and I also uh, took drugs before I went over there. Um, but what I did, what I discovered is that marijuana really made me paranoid in Vietnam. It didn't do that to me in Manhattan Beach, but <laughs> it sure as hell did <laughs> when I was in Vietnam. So everyone else went over there to Vietnam and started smoking grass. I went over there and quit smoking grass and start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> because oh when, when, I, when I drank, I didn't give a shit whether I got killed or not. So, so basically, I spent a lot of time drunk and then reading uh, books on chess and oriental rugs. It was an interesting year. <laughs> so do you own oriental rugs now? Uh, yes, I do, in fact. One. Okay. I mean, it's not a very good one. I mean, it's, you know... It's, and in fact, it's rolled up in a closet now because the place I'm living doesn't really have an appropriate place for it. So it's just rolled up, sitting in a closet. 
But, you know, something we were talking about a while ago, you know, we were talking about advertising is everywhere. Yeah. You know, you go fill up your gas tank and here's this guy trying to sell you something. Yeah. Well, money is being brought to its knees. Money is quickly going to not be the reality that we have anymore, this dollar bill. Oh, yeah, that's nonsense. Okay. We don't need that stuff. You know, and what I see happening on the Internet are people doing beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things and putting it out there for free. Yeah. Or trading, not too. People anything. are also swapping Right, stuff. and, you know, and, and open source software. How, how beautiful yeah. is that, right? Yeah. You know, and, yeah, the barter system is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And... You know, but what I'm saying is we're getting away from money. Money itself is crumbling. Yeah. Well, capitalism you know, is, so is collapsing. The point is is that is both communism, communism and capitalism are just the opposite sides of the, of the in, same industrial revolution coin. They're just, they're both figments of the industrial revolution and totally inappropriate to the world that's emerging. Capitalism will be gone in 20, 30 years for sure. Communism, more or less, is gone now. Uh, there's a couple places it's hanging right. You think it's going to take 20 years? If uh, you're talking about this exponential growth rate of butterflies... Well, I think they're going to coincide really gonna take with... 20 I think, years? Yeah. I think, I think the two systems are going to coexist for a while. It's not going to just be one or the other. There's going to be... I think remnants of the old system will probably be around for a while. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm just making this shit up. I mean, I don't... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's 30 years. Maybe it's even 40 years. I don't know. But I can't imagine it going on longer than 40 years. It's hard. If it happens in 10 years, it's going to be real unpleasant. It, it, the, actually, the longer it drags out, the, the less violent it might be. Or maybe not. I mean, again, I don't, we don't really know. This is all new territory. So I don't think, I, I don't think it's possible to predict how... I mean, aside from the end point, I think that's predictable. But just how it's going to get to that end point, uh, I'm not at all clear about that. All right. I've got somebody else that would like to talk. Sure. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 